beautiful man Raise his hand Hell no Hell no Great Thank you uh, Fantastic job um, Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Showgaze Movie Musical Podcast Where we talk about things that are currently in the movie theaters um, Famously, that's all, that's all we really we ever do. discuss I think it's important the current to current events Current mm-hmm. pop culture podcast. Yeah, yes. zeitgeist. Yes. We only do movies that are currently in theater. So next week we will mm-hmm. be doing Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Famous movie. <laughs> we could do Wonka. That's also in the movie theaters, and it is a musical. And it's, allegedly, it's a bit of a, I've yeah. heard it's good. I've heard it's. I've heard it's pretty good. I've heard some mixed reviews. Um, but it's kind of a, a season for musicals. All of a sudden, we love it. Yeah, it's tis tis the season. It's That's the what season. they really it's mean when they say that. I don't know if anybody ever knew. <laughs> Um, yeah. RJ, what you're well? Yeah, I'm doing okay. okay. Good, Molly, Molly. You're well. You well. I'm well. Great. Let's move on. Great. Okay. Uh, who's? I'm sorry, I didn't click it. Whose turn is it? It is Molly's. Oh. I don't think it is. Oh, it's I Adam. Oh, order. It's Adam. I thought I did. I thought I did umbrellas because I went off the cuff. You did do umbrellas, but I don't know why because your name is not next to umbrellas. Your name I is think next because to this we one. thought we thought umbrella. Okay, but then if we're going down the list, then it would be RJ. So, oh no, RJ, the person you're the one who's not as me. Great. Oh my god, I'm gonna misspeak. Well, and this is not the movie to misspeak on. So, keep that. Oh god, okay, I'm gonna do my best. Okay, RJ, that's all we can ask for, really. Yeah. In a minute yeah. or less, please summarize the 2023 film, The Color Purple, and your time starts now. Okay, Sister uh, Celie and Nettie um, live in like. I think turn of the century of Georgia, 1904-ish. Um, the movie will span across Celie's uh, time in her life. She, at the start of the movie, she uh, gives birth to a second child that um, is given away. Um, Ned, uh, there is a man named Mister who is kind of like a vagrant in the town, but has like a huge plot of land that uh, Nettie and Celie's dad um, agrees for. Mr. to marry Seely. Um, so Seely lives with Mr. and raises his children. Nettie also, because um, their pa, their father, uh, tries to to harass um, Nettie. Nettie also runs away and lives with Seely and Mr. But then Mr. tries to do it uh, and Nettie refuses. So Nettie runs away. Or Nettie is kicked out, separating the two sisters and um Celia kind of lives her life, is forced to live her life alone without like the one person that she, that truly cares for her, it, which is Nettie. She goes through, um, uh, she goes through her life with Mr. Mr. has a, um, a mistress named Shug Avery, who is a blues singer um, and kind of like opens Celie's eyes to, to basically like love and, and, and how, what it means to be cared for again, that has given her enough strength to want to um, kind of, leave with her and start her own life away from mister uh oh my god and then later on um she realizes that her father actually wasn't her father um but she is left she is passed down the store that he used to run she ends up uh creating her own um like tailor shop with it and mister comes back to try and and, and see if she, if if they can kind of make amends but Celie does not um and she sings her song i'm here which kind of proves that like she um 
can be independent. I really focus on Jaseli's story. There are yeah. also there's also a story about obviously Nettie coming back and reuniting with Celie. And then there's also the story of Harpo, who is Mr. Sun, Harpo's wife, Sophia, Sophia. who also becomes a very uh, a strong character that helps Celie um kind of really ground her in kind of love and strength to to help Celie kind of be her own person as well. I don't know why you phrased it as there's also the story of Nettie coming back. So if that's not just the next thing that happens in the plot, but I, know, um, I just, I got so intimidated by, okay. This I, is, I th- there is no world in which I would want to summarize this film in a minute or less. So yeah, it's, it's hard to summarize a minute or less. Cause I think we will talk about all these characters. So we want to mm-hmm. make know about it. I think the thing you forgot to say at the beginning is that, uh, Celia is giving birth to her second child. She's still a teenager and her father is the father of this child. Yes, so yes. Of both her of her father, children. Both of them. So, yeah, yeah. 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 So she's been sexually abused by her father, who we later learn is actually her stepfather. So I don't know, a little bit better, I guess, but still not good. Um, so right. she has been abused since she was a child. We mm. were made to understand and then goes directly into this abusive relationship with the husband. And so it's a story of her coming out of a history of being abused by men and finding solace in other women. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a rollicking romp of a film. Um, RJ, since I know that you do have somewhat of a history with this musical, what is your history with The Color Purple? I remember seeing when this was on when the year it came out on Broadway, the year of the Tonys, um, they had a performance of the original cast doing Hell No. And I was like, this is a fun song. I love it. I want to say either the next year or the year after they had Fantasia perform because she had been the replacement for Seeley mm-hmm. and she had performed I'm Here, which I remember being like, that's so funny that they make the replacement uh, cast perform because I think they did it for Book of Mormon too. Like yeah, the second sometimes. year of Book of Mormon, they performed uh, in the Tonys. Mm-hmm. So did, sorry, can I ask, did Fantasia yeah. replace Cynthia Erivo or was Cynthia Erivo a different production? So Cynthia Erivo was the revival production, which was a f- few years it was, 20, it was 10 years later it was 2015 oh, okay gotcha mm-hmm. so um obviously being an american idol girly i knew fantasia's <laughs> life and so i loved seeing her on broadway uh that performance of her singing i'm here at the tonys is like one of my favorite fantasia also wasn't her story on american idol that she was like a young mom too yes she was 19 and she already had she had like a uh a little girl um and so that was her whole thing was that she wanted to win American Idol to provide for her daughter. Um, yeah, she became pregnant at 16. Yes. Wow. Um, <clears throat> yes. And then since then, I've just listened. And then, yes, the the revival production with Cynthia Revo also had Daniel Brooks play Sophia and it had Jennifer Hudson play Shug Avery. Mm. Um, also one of my beloved American Idol girls all from season three. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so that performance of I'm Here by Cynthia Erivo on the Tonys is probably also one of the best Tony performances of all ever time. of all yeah. time. Yeah. So it's, it is just like the everyone I feel like knows I'm Here. Like that's like the yeah. song that if you know the Color Purple the musical, that is the song that you know. So and it's, I think I would say the star maker of Cynthia Erivo, like because she did mm, this on Broadway, yeah. she became like a massive star. And she is. Yeah. Molly? I what this is one of those like movies slash books that you kind of know about but I like never actually ended up watching it um so I had a sense of the plot because I think I looked up I wanted to listen to the music of the Broadway show Mm -hmm. and so I looked it up to have enough context in order to listen to the songs and get what they were about um and I watched Cynthia Revo's 
performance if I'm here. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to understand. Yeah. Uh, but I did actually, speaking of Fantasia and American Idol, the one season of American Idol that I actually did watch start to finish was Fantasia's season. So I wow. definitely know her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was excited that she was in this movie because I, I know that she had like a tough time after winning American Idol and there was right. like stops and starts to her career and stuff. I don't know the details of it, but she had like I'm glad different- she's headlining a film. She had like different things that so she had a lifetime original movie about her life the story of Fantasia and she played herself. Yeah. Um, and I think Cheryl Lee Ralph was her mom. Oh, uh, classic. And, yeah. <laughs> and she also, from what I remember was in the running for um, Effie for the dream girls movie. It was between mm. her and Jennifer Hudson mm-hmm. and they went with Jennifer Hudson. And so I remember being, there was a lot of like fake hullabaloo, obviously of like, she's bitter they're bitter but they've since kind of said like no i always felt the fantasy just come out and said like i just felt like that role was perfect for jennifer and like Mm -hmm. i it feels it feels really full circle to have kind of one of her biggest breaks which was filling in for celia color purple has now become like one of her i would say like biggest movie to date so far yeah now rj as our american idol historian historian. (laughs) how many black women have won american idol there have been two there have been Fantasia Perino mm-hmm. and Candace Glover. Candace Glover, that's the other one. That's it. That is... Jennifer Hudson didn't win American Idol? So Jennifer no, Hudson won was that year Fantasia of Fantasia season. season, but she got sixth place. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. Because the electricity went out in Chicago. The electricity went very out famously. in Chicago that night. And that was like the thing. Fa- I don't think it, they've come close to that season of like, they had like three very powerful, like black women um, in the show as like, it was clear the from the very 12. beginning, they were going to be the top three. Yeah. And Fantasia was the last one standing. That was the Diana DeGarmo wow. came from that season who oh, became yeah. another Broadway favorite. It was between her and Fantasia. It was, it was, it was her and too, right? Yeah. So, and she was, Fantasia was 19 during that season. And if you watch clips of her that season, she doesn't feel like she, she feels like she, her voice, like her it's presence. So, her sound is incredibly unique. Yes. I, yeah. I was surprised when you said that she was 19 when she was on American Idol from my recollection. Okay. Although I looked up her age before this and she's 39 now. So I guess she has to have been 19 when she was on American Idol just by <laughs> logic. But yeah. 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 And Diana DeGarmo, her runner up was 16. And wow. uh, the, the third place, Jasmine Triaz was 17. What do you, what have you removed like what important things have you removed from your brain to make way for that information mm. to have retained? Um, like MLA, family, family names, MLA APA, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Certain Great. certain historical facts. Great. You know, yeah. the Middle Ages—they're all kind of just one thing. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I uh, truly know literally nothing about the the book the movie the, the sorry the original movie the musical i've literally the only thing i've ever seen is i'm here at the tonys mm. that's the only context i have i think it's an incredible song i've listened to it many i've listened to that song a bunch because i think it's like one of the best pieces of like it is it is firmly within the like musical theater greatest works yeah. canon for that's, sure yeah um but apart from that i have no i had i just i knew it was like really uh dark or not dark per se but like heavy heavy that's a great word mm-hmm. bleak mm-hmm. uh and so i i don't did you have I, any background on the original movie the steven spielberg movie or night no i, I knew i knew who was in it like yes. i knew like whoopi and oprah and, oh, and uh, danny yeah. glover and yeah. other people were in it but i've again like truly 
I knew it was about abuse. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't even know it was about sexual abuse. I just thought it was like domestic abuse. And yeah. um and I didn't know there was a I I've I okay, so then okay, that's my whole history. <laughs> but then this year on Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a great podcast that NPR puts out, I highly recommend it. Um, Molly, no, she's got the totes. <laughs> Mo- Molly, Molly loves NPR. Yeah. Um, so uh, Aisha Harris, who's their new, their newest co-host of the four chairs on the pod, she yeah. did a retrospective series, a three-part series of films that represented minority groups that the minority groups themselves took issue with at the time, even mm. though they were lauded as being like part of whatever. Yeah. So she did. She talked about italians with the godfather and how it's actually like okay. a lot of italian americans were like really offended by it and felt like it stereotyped them for sure. for um black americans it was the color purple and then for uh the lgbtq um community it was um what's the one where sharon stone uncrosses her legs basic instinct basic instinct thank you basic instinct is an lgbtq <laughs> movie she's like bisexual or whatever oh, okay. it's she like has gotcha, sex with okay. a lot of people just mostly for like power it seems but um, yeah. That was like part of the controversy was like, well, this isn't really anyway. Oh, okay. So in the color purple episode, which I will put in the show notes because I highly recommend listening to it. Um, she talks about how uh, there was obviously some criticism of like Steven Spielberg's film because he is a white filmmaker and it is a black story. And there was some like, I don't know if he understood all the nuances of Alice Walker's original novel. So there was some criticism of that, but there was a massive pushback from um uh, like even the NAACP against the film for like the depiction of black men in the film and to a lesser extent um, the homosexuality not necessarily in the film because it's not really uh, drawn out in the film but like the book Suge and Seeley are, are in bumping coochies let's say that so um I- Let's not <laughs> <laughs> oh the reverence that you, <laughs> you exhibit so um I thought that was very interesting because I feel like in my understanding of the film or this piece, I should say, is that like it's always been like really respected in the black community, blah, blah. blah. So to hear like that the NAACP was like, it's a no from us, I was like, oh, that's. And I always knew that like The Color Purple was like one of the classic books to always be banned. Like, like, and Mm. I even in the while I was watching this movie, I told adam i was like isn't it crazy that this book like this story is banned because of that and not like all the violence that well it's 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 both it is like the the extreme violence is often cited as one of the reasons i would think that that would be the naacp's primary primary concern but i think it's interesting so i did before recording i read the the wikipedia pages for the book the 1985 film and i mean i didn't read it for the one we watched (laughs) I, i watched the movie but i think I think I'm remembering this right. I'm re- reviewing the page for the the film. So in the book, Squeak mm-hmm. is yes. the is biracial and is the daughter of a white man and a black woman. And her mm-hmm. uncle is the warden of the prison Grab. where Sophia is kept after the oh. altercation with the mayor. And then uh, Squeak convinces the warden to let Sophia go, but then the warden rapes her. Apparently, oh, so, squeak, squeak. squeak. So I just I only point that out because, as you were saying about the violent, the violent depictions of black men. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the book, if it looks like the f- both film versions omitted that storyline, yeah. which I understand that it's like heavy enough and you don't need to. We don't necessarily need to get into yeah. it. Yeah. But the book might do do more to like portray men in a more general way as violent. Yeah. Because it also includes a white character. Um 
who is sexually abusing a member of his own family. Right. Um, rather than <laughs> just because, I mean, I very much take it as like, this is, this is a story about like violence that men enact on women and women yeah. forming community to get away from that violence and like yeah. not necessarily connected to race, but I can understand when you have a film where all of the male care, all the significant male characters are black that yes. Right. And then they're being violent and specifically like the threat of like black men raping women is like kind of a thing in terms of history of racial fears that people have. Yeah, I can right. understand having concerns about that. Yeah. Right. And I think I, I think you're right. And I, I I'm really excited to talk about this movie because first of all, I thought it was great, but uh, I think it's more important. Like it is a story about black women, but it does not feel like it is a story. It's like generalized men. Cause like the mayor is a piece of shit. Like every, mm-hmm. almost all the, even except Harpo, I think might be the old, well, no. And then the guy that Shug marries, um, I don't, yes. the guy in the band, I don't Dumbatiste. know his name. Yeah. 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 Uh, Slay. Um, they're like the only two like normal men in this whole movie. Even, yeah. but even like Harpo has like the part where he like tries to like hit, Sophia just yeah, Harpo gets convinced to be violent. So work yeah. out for him in that way. Um, but yeah. Okay. So uh, you talked about it a little bit. The Color Purple 1982, uh, the book written by Alice Walker. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Um, and she is the first black woman to win the prize, the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Um, and as RJ said, this is American Library Association's 100 Most Frequently Challenged Books from 1990 until 2019. It has been on that list. Jeez. Um, in the in the de- in the 90s, it was number 17. In the 20 in the 2000s, it was 17, and then I think it dropped in the 2010s to number 50. I think is what it was. But um, it is it is a, a strong stalwart on that list. So in case you're curious, I looked up what the 2022 uh, yeah. top 10 most challenged books from the mm-hmm. American Library Association. Are. So, oh God, this is um, so sad. There's 13 technically in total because there's a, a couple ties. So in 10, we have um, Crank by Ellen Hopkins, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews, and This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson. That's number 10. Oh, and I'm sorry. And uh, A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass, which so is very interesting. Yes, that's, that's like fairy smut. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number nine is Out of Darkness by Ashley Hope Perez. Eight is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Uh, seven is Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison. Uh, number five is another tie between The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. We Our own Stephen Chbosky from um, <laughs> Dear, Dear Hansen. Hansen. <laughs> yeah. And Looking for Alaska by John Green. Uh, number four. John Green. For John Green. <laughs> number four is TikTok's <laughs> favorite author. <laughs> Flamer by Mike Curato. Uh, number three is The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. All books are, I'm sorry, All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson is number two. And number one is Gender Queer, a Memoir by Maya Kobabe. Um, so if you need a list of recommended books, I would, I would, I yeah. stand firm in saying probably we those 13 those. are great. Yeah. <laughs> we fully endorse, just read all of these. Uh, I've never read any of them, but I'm sure. That, oh, you've read Perks. I have read Perks. I knew a little bit of Crank. I I know a little bit of Bluest Eye. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've read Perks Alaska. and Looking for Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. And Ari loves Quartermist and Fury. So yeah. great. Uh, go go to your local library and find some uh, challenged books. Yeah. Yeah. Challenge yourself. Challenge Mama. yourself, girls. Um, okay. So then The Color Purple 1985, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. 
Um, it's produced by Kathleen Kennedy, Star Wars' Star Wars own. <laughs> own CEO. Uh, and Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg and Quincy Jones. It stars Danny Glover as Mr. Adolf Caesar as, I think, Mr.'s dad. I didn't look up who plays what. Uh, but we'll be playing Seely uh, in an Academy Award winning or er, nominated performance for Best Actress. And Oprah played Sophia. Sophia. Also nominated. Yeah. Also not this, I did it, with like cultural osmosis. I did know Color Purple was about sisters. So I just assumed for a very long time that Oprah and Whoopi were, were the sisters because it just mm. seemed like these are the two people who are in it and it's a movie about sisters. So I assume that they're the sisters, but in, in fact, they're not. Yeah. Yes. They are not. It's true. And I would say like the very quotable, like the iconic lines from that movie, um, the you told Harpo to beat me. That's like that clip goes around oh yeah um and when she goes when she raises her fingers to mr and says everything mm. you've done to when me, she curses him already been done to you mm-hmm. yeah um so that movie was the just for fun facts about that movie uh 15 million was the budget and its box office is 98.4 million so oh, a hit for it was best picture nominated too wasn't it, it was best fiction nominated it basically was nominated for everything. it was like nominated for like nine academy awards i don't think it won any of them though yeah um because i i think it I don't think it helps that the ND- NAACP was like, don't award oh. this picture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if now looking back, if they would have done things differently, but I think. Yeah. For it was also the books itself was also so fresh too. like the book right. comes out 1982. This is 1985. I mean, this is like a quick turnaround. My mom said that when she was in college, she read, she was assigned, they were assigned the color purple. Wow. So she did read the book and she was like, it's, it's it's uh it's bleak <laughs> i think this was because of because the story takes place so, so long ago i think i thought that it was like almost like a contemporary that it was written like in the 50s or 60s yeah i think i maybe thought or even like yeah like the 1900s or so like i don't think i had yeah, a really good yeah. sense of when the novel was right because it would have had to be post 40s based on how long it goes for but um did your mom go to college later in life or is she just that much younger than my parents I think she went a few years after. I don't remember what years she went. She had a little bit was, of a break. Interesting. I think so. Yeah. Um, but she, I think she only did a year. I don't. I don't remember her whole college story. Um, okay. But um, I don't usually bring up the movie if they if there's like a movie, but then like they end up making a musical and then it's really. But I feel like this piece, the movie, I would say, is really catapulted. It the movie catapulted, and I think this move, this musical, is in conversation with the both movie. the musical and the film and the book, obviously. But definitely, this this movie that we just watched feels like it is trying to keep both what the original '80s movie did and also the musical. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think just even by very pointedly ca- like uh, choosing a black director. I think they're trying to correct some of in like almost like yeah. uh West Side Story in like how do we correct some of the mistakes that we had made mistakes in quotes obviously that we had yeah. made with an original iteration. Although that was then directed by Steven Spielberg. By Steven so Spielberg, in terms of correcting yeah. mistakes, I guess right. we're continuing the having Steven Spielberg. So Steven Spielberg is the, is the I mistake. think it's the big problem. He's the problem. He's the yeah. problem. Yeah. That's saying. what yeah. we're saying. Because what is he really done? Really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, what's he done for the film industry? Color Purple, I think, is the first his first like non. Uh, like uh, young like commercial, mo- like it's a commercial film, but it's film. it's like an yeah. art, more artistic film. Yeah. yeah, and so I think because I was trying to read some of the like 
in that on that Wikipedia page, they have the criticism section of the movie. And I think some, one of them was like, "This is his first time at a dark at a heavier fare, and it doesn't seem to be working for Mr. Spielberg." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, that's so crazy that <laughs> I just this man made Schindler's List like two years later." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, anyway. So the color purple then the musical debuts in 2005 um debuts in debuts. 2005. Yeah. Music and lyrics are by Brenda Russell, Ali Willis and Stephen Bray. Um it it was an Oprah Winfrey It was Oprah Winfrey produced. produced. So is this film that we're talking about today. Uh the 2005 production was criticized for the lack of homosexuality. Um it basically boils uh, Shogun Sealy down to just like in the movie, um, in the Spielberg movie, and he is actually cop to this where he said, I I softened that storyline because I wasn't I wanted to make sure we could get a PG 13 rating. That was part of it. And also like mm-hmm. I don't he said he said, like, I don't know if I felt comfortable at the time, and I probably wasn't the right person for that particular storyline. But um, they do the same thing, I think, in the movie in the musical. I don't think it's as explicit. The the I think the 2023 version is the most explicit Shug. Seely, yeah, we get, um, and we'll talk about that other later, than the novel, obviously. Yeah. Other than the novel, yes, in all the right. adaptations. Yeah. Um, and one of the critics at the time lambasted the musical because th- uh, that uh, 2005 is also when Brokeback Mountain came out. So they were like, Hollywood mm. has a has a movie right now about gay cowboys, like raw dogging, but we can't even have like two women in love more than like a kiss on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think they were saying because the musical, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of it seems like they pulled a lot of dramaturgical elements from the church. As you, I was asked, so I was asking RJ, the original musical, how do they do time transitions? Because there's the time jumps are crazy. And I was like yeah. trying to figure out how on stage you would like know where we were at, especially like you can do it easily. in like I think the latter half of the 20th century, just with like design like costume mm, changes yeah. but yeah. that first Those half of the 20th century yeah. girl i would be like i don't know it could be 1904 yeah. it could lines be can be changing and i'm not gonna know <laughs> it. We're yeah. in rural georgia like uh, girl i don't know yeah. so the, mu- said, the the musical employs a little bit more of the ensemble as kind of like a greek chorus like the pastor mm. and like the church goers are kind of singing like what's happening in the town um so there's a little bit more like interstitial ensemble numbers that kind of talk about uh what's happening now like who's the man that just rolled in with shug um years after she was here or um stuff like that so and i think they did a they did a little bit of it i think in the beginning of of the movie yeah of this movie yeah um but i so they were saying that's very interesting to call it out that like the focus on the faith well, because they were saying they wondered if it's because they decided to focus on faith that that's why they pulled away from the homosexual, homosexual element. Yeah. As if those two things like, have to be diametrically opposed. Right, but, but in 2005... So the, yeah, like, the implication yeah. is like we're trying to get a more religious audience in to come see this, basically. Well, it's the thing. It's like, are you... Who are you? It, yeah, it's like, are you getting like black churchgoers to come out and see Broadway? You know? Yeah, oh, maybe the, that was their tactic. That's the yeah, that's the tactic because it... It feels that way. Like the 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 spirit of the show definitely feels that way. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the original criticism was that the songs felt unfinished, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting. But I also read that for this movie, they cut 13 songs. And I was like, wow, how many songs? <laughs> so how many songs are the original musical? Yeah. Like four. That's so many songs. Yeah. Um, so for the original, I have here the Tony nominations. It was basically nominated for 
<laughs> everything best musical best book of a musical best original score best featured actor in a musical for Brandon Victor Dixon uh, best featured actress got two nominations best choreography best scenic design best costume design best lighting design those are all nominees and then LaShawn's won for Seeley in uh, 2005 Broadway's favorite LaShawn's I mean another Broadway icon yeah and then 2015 was the revival with Cynthia Revo that we were talking about earlier and then a lot more people win in that revival. It's a stripped down aesthetic. It's uh, you're it's, very. It's basically boxy. like, yeah, like the set is just like planks of wood and then like chairs on a like vertical height that are just like hung and they take them down to turn them into like the different settings and stuff. Yeah. And it is very okay. much Greek chorus ensemble kind of builds the yeah. story in the world. Yeah. And uh, Cynthia, I think won. Yeah, she did yes. win the the Tony. That she won. That was, I believe that was Hamilton. She was the only one that yeah, won. Yeah, she was the only oh, one that yeah, was the wasn't. only non-Hamilton. Yeah. Non-Hamilton yeah. performer that yep. won. But I think everyone who won was, was black. All the yeah. maiden four were black winners that year. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah. Um, okay. The Color Purple 2023. It is directed by Blitz Bazawul. Uh Blitz Bazawul directed uh Black is King, the Beyonce visual album from 2019. Um so I thought that was a very interesting choice. Because if you're directing a visual, it's basically you're directing a, a, mu- a musical, a, a bunch of music videos. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's smart. To they clearly know what they're doing. In they connected like, that those yeah. dots. Screenplay is by Marcus Gardley. Uh, it's based on the color purple. It's produced by Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg, Scott Sanders, and Quincy Jones. It stars Fantasia Barino as Seeley, Taraji P Henson as Shug, Avery, Danielle Brooks as Sophia, Coleman Domingo as Mister, uh, Corey Hawkins as Harpo, Harpo. her as Squeak. Halle Bailey, which I feel bad saying Squeak because her name's not Squeak, but I can't remember what her name is. Mary Agnes. I think it's Mary Agnes. Oh, Mary Agnes. Perfect. Uh, Only Hall- RJ and I were paying attention, apparently. <laughs> I saw days ago, Molly. Days. Uh, her, I'm sorry, Halle Bailey as young yeah. Betty. Louis Gossett Jr. as old Mr. Like Mr.'s dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sierra as Nettie. Yes. Reg- Current, Current Nettie. Present Nettie. Nettie. Present Nettie. John Batiste as the guy the that should marry. Yeah. Like Jermaine or something, right? Something like I that. I think that's right. Jermaine. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know. So that must be the. the so Anjana Ellis Taylor was the mom in the flashbacks. Ma. Oh, OK. And then Felicia Pearl. Uh, was young Seely? Yes. Felicia Pearl Mbassi. Mbassi. Was young Seely. OK, great. She was great. Cinematography is by Don Lawson. It is edited by John Pohl. Its music is by. The score is by Chris Bowers. Production companies is OW Films, Amblin Entertainment, SGS Pictures, Quincy Jones Productions, and Domain Entertainment. It is distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. Uh, it was released on December 25th, uh, Christmas Day, 2023. Just a, f- a mere nine days ago. No, four days ago. And uh, the running time is 140 minutes. The budget was 90 to 100 million, depending on reports. And so far, it has made 32.3 million. However, let me tell you, Christmas Day, <laughs> here are the stats. Yes. The Color Purple was number one in the box office for Christmas Day at 18.15 million. Great. Uh, number two was Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Three was Wonka. Huge. Again, tis the season for musicals. Uh, yeah. The Boys in the Boat was number four and Migration was number five. I've never heard of the Boys in the Boat. Boys in the even... Boat is like historical fiction about a crew team in like the 40s. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Or not, maybe not fiction. I think it's based on a real... Story. I don't know. Everyone was reading that book in like 2012. It's a sports sports movie. movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the only other interesting facts I have about this movie, because apparently, I mean, as we know, it's December 29th. The Academy Award nominations haven't even come out yet. They won't for a couple months. So here's the Critics' Choice Award nominations. Best Picture, Best Sporting Actress for Danielle Brooks. Best Acting Ensemble, Best Hair and Makeup, and Best Costume Design. Those are the Critics' Choice nominations. I think those awards happen mid-January. So it'll be a couple weeks. No Golden Globes because... They do have Golden Globes. Two nominations, Best uh, Movie... Musical. Comedy, musical, or comedy, and best actress, uh, Fantasia. Great. Okay. Um, and those are January 7th. Yeah, those are when the up. Globes are. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I have no information. There's no trivia. There was no production notes. There was nothing. I know from TikTok clips, because they're doing a lot of press right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that <laughs> the random facts, Fantasia, um, the only thing she took from set were her slips to, to the to the cast's delight because they were like the slips and she was like yeah some of them were cute and they were all like girl <laughs> no they weren't but go ahead um and that felicia can you go back to the names felicia yeah. i think felicia felicia pearl felicia pearl she originally went for Celie and was actually rejected and um was called back again later because they were like you actually read very young would you be interested in reading for young Celie?" and at the time she was Currently, I think she's currently working at a writer's room for a show. And oh, it was wow. during that she she told the story of like she told they were in the middle of writing and she was like, can I go to the bathroom real quick to answer a phone call from like Oprah, basically, and the team to say that she was cast. <gasps> um, wow. I, I also believe there's a clip of Fantasia and Danielle getting the call from Oprah. I know there's a I know there's the clip of Danielle Brooks getting the call from Oprah that she had gotten she had Sophia for the movie because she was in the revival. Oh, she was a replacement right. Sophia in the revival on Broadway. Um, How old is Felicia Pearl and Posse? Let's do a quick Google. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to do a Google. Well, that's... And I remember when I heard that story, I was like, I mean, if you're an actor, like, you really don't... Sometimes you truly don't know, like, until you're put in... She's 30. Yeah. She's 30. Wow. She does read so young. She reads so young. She reads so young. Because I was like, where did they find this young Fantasia? She looks right, like her. And oh my she, god, the con- the like connection between them. The it's connect- like yes. seamless when they transition. Yeah. The yeah. visual similarity. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah. I do. Okay, wait. While we're talking about similarity between the actresses, I want to talk about casting Halle Bailey, Bailey and then I guess um I guess Sierra, Sierra then as well. <laughs> but I don't know. Do you want do you want to t- talk about that when we get to Nettie or should we talk about it now? Let's let's do it now. Let's jump in. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, let's jump in. Let's jump in. Okay, so we're in. Do you want to talk about Nettie first? Let's start, should we start yeah, with I mean, Nettie? she has so, the least amount of screen time. Yeah, so we can start uh, with she, Yes, she is a very important character to Celie, but she Celie, doesn't actually I'm... spend that much time in the movie. She has, she has like a significant chunk at the beginning, and then she comes yes. back at the very end. Um, she's mostly an off-screen character. Okay, so I, not knowing the book or the movie really mm-hmm. that well, was pretty distracted by how different Halle Bailey and, and Felicia, Felicia uh, Pearl and Bossy look. Oh. Um, and to the extent that in the scene where um, she inherits the store and then the uh-huh. like widow of her father says like, oh, you weren't actually his biological daughter. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe then she, she was going to find out that Nettie was her half sister because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Halle Bailey is like significantly lighter skin tones yeah. than mm-hmm. yeah. um, Felicia. Felicia. Yeah. And they're just their facial features are just like 
completely different. And I understand like you're, you're still casting people who are not actually related. Like they're not right, going right. to necessarily look like siblings, but like you could try a little bit harder to make people look like each other. And I was thrown by it. And I tried to find information about like, is there something, it made me think like, oh, is it in the novel that like Nettie is just happens skinned. to have a lighter skin tone and that that's part of like the plot and like what the novel is telling you about? Because Nettie kind of like gets protected, it feels like, in a way that yes. Seely doesn't. And I was like, yes. oh, is that part of the story? Is that like Nettie, the lighter skinned daughter, is like treated better, is like thought of as is having more of a future, one. like yeah. is the pretty one, basically. Mm -hmm. Apparently, that's not part of it. I looked up the actresses that played the, well, I mean, obviously, I'm with Whoopi Goldberg, but like, I looked at the actress who played Nettie in the 1985 film, like both pretty similar skin tone. And apparently, Alice Walker coined the term colorism like she is the person oh, who like i don't think in the novel i think probably right. in like you know like an dialogue. essay or something like yeah. that Whoa. so i was surprised that it didn't come up more i found like one forum with like random people talking about how they thought it was a problem that hallie bailey got cast and taking away the role from a dark-skinned dark actress. actress whoa but i I'm surprised I haven't seen like any discourse about it because it's yeah. such an odd choice. To, I, I get it. Like Halle Bailey is obviously a star and, and you want to put mm -hmm. people in your movie. People are going to want to come see whatever. But like, it seems like a really odd choice and really weird that it's not been coming up at all in any of the press coverage. Yeah. I wonder if because of the casting, it would just almost became like an inherent like. I don't know if it was a clear decision, but it does. I mean, that's definitely what you get, right? Like that because she's light skinned, she might you're connecting that immediately, like visually, I feel like. Yeah. As an audience member. But it's very interesting that it was like not at least intentional. I think it seems intentional for the purpose that we were just talking about of the like colorism aspect of it. Cause I immediately read like I was like, oh, that that's, that's why not all, the only reason why, but it's definitely baked into like that's why they are seen as two different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems like from what I read again, I didn't read the novel, but it seems like, like I said, squeak is biracial and it seems like that is something that's like explored more explicitly, explicitly. in the novel. And so like sure. colorism comes up, but, but in terms of how squeak is treated differently, like especially than Sophia, right. but not between the two sisters necessarily. So I thought that that was interesting because squeak is, Squeak is in this, but like almost to a point where I was like, I don't know why they included this character other than people are expecting her to be here. Uh -huh. Like she's not contributing much to the plot of the 2023 film, I feel. I thought I was like um, coming up with a storyline in my head that like her and Halle Bailey tried out for Nettie. Her. Her. The singer, her. The singer, her. her. Yeah. yeah. Um, they both tried out for Nettie and her was probably just so good that they were like, well, I want to put you in this movie in some way. Let's, this is just your headcanon that you yeah, created. <laughs> let's make, let's bring up this character squeak. Um, because she doesn't really do much in the movie. Um, she provides like a point of conflict. Yeah. Uh, for Sophia, obviously, because she's Harpo's like new girl, mm -hmm. but then she just kind of joins the group. So it just kind of like adds another person to add into like this, like, uh, this like female group at the end, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think she's in the stage show because then when I was looking oh, up stuff okay, about okay. Squeak, I saw like an article that had pictures of depictions of Squeak and it included somebody that was like very clearly in Those... stage makeup. So I think she's in the stage show. Okay. Okay. But I, again, like, I don't know if she has a bigger role in the stage show or if again it's just like a this is a character everybody knows is in this this story. Right. So we like have to have her in here somewhere. I just don't know. Yeah. Is it is the... interesting that you bring because I, I didn't know the Squeak character. I I thought it was gonna be like they created a character for her. So very interesting that she's actually a real character and that it's biracial because her is biracial. She's black and Filipino. Mm. So oh. um, it's very interesting. Like I thought that was, that was nice casting of like 
also including like biracial actors, you know? Yeah, I don't think she's in the 1985 film. Mm, okay. From what I can tell from this quick... Oh, no, she is. I'm sorry. Radon yes. Chong as Mary Agnes. Yeah. Also biracial. Also biracial. This actress. Okay. Um, interesting about Squeak. I don't know in terms of... Yes, I don't know what... I don't know if she is like... What, I hate being like, is she worthwhile? But like, is she like... She doesn't really contribute to the plot per se. But I felt... Like it was like another, we don't have to dwell on her, but the fact that she is so frustrated with her life that she also leaves Leaves. with them to go to Memphis. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's just another, it's just showing that like almost every black woman in this story is like uh, subjugated to some degree, Mm -hmm. whether or not it's all the same, obviously is not necessarily the case, but every, like everybody that this is in this story is like put upon by the men in their lives. And it's horrible. (laughs) Um, I know we're going to dive character by character, but do we want to do just quick general? What is everyone's general take first before we dive in? Sure, go ahead. I loved it. No, I really liked it because I I, I knew that the music was good um, from what I've listened to from both soundtracks of the bo- both Broadway versions. So I came in with high expectations and I also came in knowing that like it feels like it's going to be an epic. And so I was kind of prepared for that. And I I thought they did a very good job. I think it's it has the challenges like in any other epic film to try and cover as much ground to try and cover an entire story. But I, I felt that they were very focused on Celie's like perspective. Obviously I think um, everything that they kept in the stories around her uh, to kind of ultimately kind of boost her own path. uh, They all felt very complimentary to give Celie kind of like the best shot, um, which, um, I'm sure he's there in the book, but um, the movie felt very much like you were supposed to stay tuned to like this one character. And she definitely like was the glue. Mm-hmm. I felt like I thought my biggest takeaways were absolutely Fantasia, Daniel Brooks and Trash Panson. <laughs> they were like insane. And um, I could like truly like they were they were so lived in in these characters that I I it didn't even feel like I was watching acting sometimes like I tr- I yeah. Watching Fantasia was like, I am just watching a person live their life. Like, I feel like I'm watching yeah. a documentary. Yeah. I said to RJ that this movie, now that I know what it's fully about, it reminded me, it felt like it was in conversation with the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, which is like the really famous um, book and movie that's like about um, the, she's like starts during slavery and then like her, it goes through her entire life mm-hmm. out of slavery into, uh, was that period of time after reconstruction? reconstruction thank you. Off. I was going to oh. say restoration, but that is a different yes. time period. <laughs> um, reconstruction, and uh, I know we watched it in like world history when I was first of all. Why was I? No, maybe I watched it in U.S. history in like junior year of high school. Um, but I, in the way that this movie starts from a very young Sealy in the turn of the century all the way through like yes. the forties, yeah. like it's a it's a quite a span of years, and sometimes I think. Um, especially in like biopics, I think mm-hmm. it can be a detriment because you're trying to encompass so much of a person's life and it's so hard without just feeling very rote. But this mm-hmm. is such a specific story and obviously not, it's a fiction, it's fiction. So there's um, episodes that feel 
like the, it's the higher hot super high drama yeah um but i thought the movie i thought the movie itself as a whole was really good um i thought i think it's a good movie musical i think it's a really good movie musical actually i think it the musical elements of this movie i think are very strong i like i think i got th- what is it three dream sequences in this so like mama you know i was living was- <laughs> um the third one i fully was like i can't believe we're getting yeah. <laughs> um, i want to say the original maybe not both but i think the original broadway production has a makeup tutorial on youtube i would like this is definitely uh, one that uh, i would love to watch and see does it actually translate to the movie sure um i want to compare it yeah yeah because it i it's so big. It's so massive in yeah. scope. I mean, it's such a small interior story. It's the story of this like rural community um, and like the, some of the poorest citizens in this rural community. But it feels like so massive in what it's trying to say and the themes it's dwelling on. Um, and I said to RJ when the movie was over that I was like, I know we have said previously on this podcast before that uh Les Mis is like the most Christian movie we've ever seen but I feel <laughs> yeah. like this usurps it in the way that there is like true forgiveness and like gratitude at the end of this movie oh, that yeah. I was not expecting this movie to end on I don't I did not expect this movie to have a, a bad ending a sorrow and a sorrowful ending but to have it be I think it's Easter isn't it Easter Sunday yeah, it's Easter. Yeah. and I just was like oh it's there's a lot baked in here and god you know we love to talk about Christ. Christ. Um, so can't wait to get into that conversation. But I I that's those are I think my general takes. I thought it was I yeah. think it's very good. Molly? Yeah. Um, I also loved it. I think I mean I also loved the West Side Story remake, and I'm trying to be cautious of like maybe I just love it when I actually yes. see musicals on the big screen. That could be <laughs> part of it. Um I cried twice. I cried during oh, I'm yeah. here and I cried oh. when Nettie came back. Yeah. Um so it really, really got me. I definitely I went in with some hesitation knowing like it is a heavy story. Yeah. And I was like, I think I'm going to like it, but I might be kind of depressed watching it was kind of my yeah. mindset. And I did feel like a little bit of a dip of like, cool, this is, this is a tough watch. And like just before Suge came, I was like getting a little like, who I'm not sure if I can handle two and a half hours of this. Yeah. And then Suge came and lit up my entire life. And all I want to mm-hmm. be in this life is Suge Avery. And I am so excited to talk about it. Um, so I think that it was like well paced. I think the music was really good. I'm surprised mm-hmm. they cut 13 songs. I'm curious how many of those like had a scene to replace it versus just like cutting out parts of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and I don't know. Colors, some of those may have been like transitional songs too. So, for sure. Oh, for yeah. sure. Or like chorus songs or yeah. Yeah. Um, the colors were like amazing. Like oh my in a God. very different than um, Umbrellas of Cherbourg kind of way. Yes. Like not oh, the yeah. not the out of this world bright colors, but like oh, like it had the a little bit sepia tone of historical, but still such richness in like, yes. just like the landscapes and the costumes and the, oh, so yeah. it was a beautiful film. I agree. The performances were amazing. The only other funny thing I want to say in terms of overall experience is that when I arrived at the theater, I noticed that a lot of the um, people in the theater, like in the lobby area of the theater were black. And yeah. I, I'm here in Minnesota. We have obviously black people live here, but not tons of black people. So it's unusual mm-hmm. to go into a random movie theater in the suburbs and see mostly black folks who are there to mm-hmm. be patrons. So I had a moment of being like, is it like weird that I'm seeing this? Like I think of the color purple as a movie that is definitely like a black film and well-regarded other than as we talked about before in the black community, but, but like very yeah. much a crossover hit, like not a thing that seems like I would expect only a black audience to be going to see. Mm-hmm. So I was 
happy that then in the actual movie theater, it was a pretty mixed audience. It just like Mm, happened to be that the time that I arrived in the lobby, but I did have like just a half a second of being like, it's, am I not, am I not supposed to go see this (laughs) matte of the color purple? I think this is fine, but like, maybe this is not a space that I'm supposed to be welcoming myself into. We had the same demographics watching this at Adam's uh, South Bend, uh, Indiana movie theater. We saw with his mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We saw a matinee. I think RJ and I were the only the two only men, men in the entire. <laughs> oh, like interesting. It, yeah, I did not because I looked around because I want. I was curious. Like there were a bunch of like black women in our row, so I was looking around at the other rows to see kind of like how it was shaking out. And I would say it was predominantly black in the theater, um, but, but South Bend has a bigger has I think it has a larger black population, but um, definitely almost all women. De- I I am I am going to come out and say that we were the only two men in that movie theater. I'm gonna. That's, that's really interesting. Showing, yeah, yeah. I think we really. I was. I also went to a two twenty showing. I wasn't oh paying as close attention to men, but I feel like there were like couples and groups there that had men yeah. in it. I didn't. Swing I didn't women. notice looking around the theater that it seemed like more women than I would expect. Yeah, it felt well. We saw it the day after Christmas too, um. So I felt like. I felt like it was a lot of like sisters, a lot of like cousins, families. like families, like women in the family all came together. Yes. That, that was, was the vibe the it was giving. It's definitely the vibe when we were leaving because there were like huge families yes. just like talking of like, oh, and I the, love uh, this. Full, fully filled theater, like not a seat uh, available in this movie theater, fully, fully at capacity and like giving every reaction that you want. Absolutely. when you're watching a movie wow. and like, it was like Very. the gasps and the cheers oh, and the, I, yeah, yeah my theater was maybe 10 percent full if i'm being generous oh, it was wow. like a very but i'm seeing it on a friday right Better so friday. like yeah, past when maybe people were seeing it with their family and some people might be back at work and blah 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 yeah. matinee and so i actually sat like there's kind of a like an aisle between like the first few rows and then the back rows mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah and i had reserved a seat in at like the back of the front part so i couldn't see anybody else around me while Mm. i was actually watching the movie um so i had like a very different like not at all communal feeling kind of Mm. movie experience yeah i think this was our third movie that we saw for showgaze in theaters the first one was in the heights um, and oh was, yes! And we all, it, in the Heights, we ended up rewatching again later. We did not see it for yes. yeah. Saw, I didn't see yes. it in the theater for but, it. Yeah. Okay. But I do. I mean, I remember being in the in the Heights conversation. Like in the theater, we felt obviously like we were crying. We were overwhelmed. Yeah. I. It is. It's. It's so, so silly to say, but it, it, there is something about watching something. movie that's like twenty feet, and these. It, it's very powerful when it yeah. when it's appropriately yeah. powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. Who do we want to start with? I don't think we should start right with Celie. That probably seems no, crazy. Do we, we want to do, do Sophia? I almost think we should do... Is there anything more about Natty? Nope. Okay. I will say the the thing that I really liked about Natty was her letters, the sequences where they shot the letters, where Celie finally discovers the letters, she reads them one by one, and she is like walking through how mm. he's describing them that first scene where she's sitting in the on the branches of this tree at the beach and you realize that it's it's the because she's reading a letter about how they um Nettie landed in africa i was like oh i i love going back to the this dream sequence like very dream sequence heavy movie i really liked that and this idea of like this is almost like Seely's way out for a lot of the first like two thirds of the movie is these letters and these dream sequences. And okay, I- let's talk about that dream sequence because she the gets letters? This, this letter and she envisions the letter as it's being as she's reading, reading it. Yes, and 
the brilliant choice that they made is using the same places that we've already been because that is the only thing thing she knows knows. and it comes back up again later where uh suge is like she has to see more of the world and that's why she takes her to memphis and i was like oh it's so smart to use the same beach from the earlier in this film as the beach in africa because that's just what you're going to envision and then like yeah everything about the african part felt really stereotypical but i was like but i think that's because she's she has no context for what Africa it, would look like. It like looks like it's happening in the in like Mister's life. Yes, like and the fact that like she only remembers Nettie with that hat, so she is envisioning the, her wearing mm, the same hat. The hat. And I was like, yeah. oh my, I I that was like a brilliant choice that I was like, I don't know if everyone would catch this, like or right. subconsciously they might understand it, but I was like, that is such a smart creative decision instead of just like actually trying Going to find to a air. place that like yeah yeah it looks like Africa. You know what I mean. Um, yeah, I didn't think about it consciously, but yeah, that's very true. And it's it's adding so much texture for us to of the locations mm-hmm. that the, the movie takes place in. I mean, again, just the landscape and the way that they capture it, like Ugh. I don't think I ever wanted to go to rural Georgia so beautiful. bad. Yeah. 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 And they're like And it feels like the the land that she's in feels like it goes for miles and miles. Like it feels so large. I don't actually know how large his land is, but it feels like she can get lost. Like the swamp that the, yes, the the swamp is shot so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, there is such a beautiful way that this movie, I think depicts the rural Southern American landscape (laughs) that I think is so often mired in this like human view, just like this view America, especially, I mean, I'll say like Americans from the North have of like the South as being this like horrible, like it's Mm -hmm. so racist and everybody that like, there's all these plantations and blah, blah, blah. But like, there is so much beauty. And I thought this movie did such a good job at like really showcasing the natural beauty of the South, like that ending scene under the tree with like everyone around the table. I oh. and the light was coming. I was like, this is if that is if there is like a depiction of what heaven should look like, it is yeah. that that is yeah. what it is. Yeah. It is was so incredibly stunning. Yeah. The field of the like the flowers as they were walking through it. It's mm-hmm. just so simple and so like uh down home feels so like stupid to say, but it's so it's not it's not it's ostentatious in any way, but there's mm-hmm. such a beauty in it that I was like. I thought this movie captured so well. I was so excited anytime we were like outside because I thought they did such a good job with that. And also that house in Memphis was gorgeous. Oh my God. Gorgeous. Oh my God. I have to quickly say though, the Easter seat, I mean, I like gasped. It was so beautiful, but I couldn't help but think about eight and a half at the end where they're all holding hands and they're wearing white. <laughs> I don't think that they were referencing that at all. I don't no, think that that's intentional homage because it does not fit the tone of that scene at all. Yeah. But um, it was funny that I couldn't, couldn't stop remembering that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what brain rot was. I do. truly thought Molly, yeah. I was thinking about like, I wonder if Molly's gonna like this ending because it's not, you know, you, they're not doing, you know, toe tapping big finale. But it's not a, a full it feels finale, grand, right? It's, I was hoping I was hoping that maybe the credit sequence would have like a really upbeat song over know, like yeah. like there would be one more ensemble number that's just kind of playing underneath the credits and I didn't mm-hmm. really get that. So I I would have liked it more if there had been a little more something something in the credits maybe. Yeah. But yes, in terms of like finishing the story and like it's just beautiful and yeah, it was it was a good ending. And the gag of Sierra be and Nettie grew up the to gag be of Sierra. Sierra getting out of that car. <laughs> I mean that that whole. I mean their entire the, family, yeah the, the the white and then like the African garments being like black and oh my god I was like the costume and the way movie that, goes like, off so hard yeah. the way that like 
Celie is wearing like this white gown with like lace and then Nettie has like eyelets in her ga- like they make the costumes different because one of them is from Georgia and one of them is from somewhere in Africa I don't know who ever learned yeah. specifically mm-hmm. where Nettie was spending time but like showing this like they've had parallel lives and things have been different but there's yeah. still these things and similarities that connect them it was like gorgeous storytelling through costume uh, can i also say something about because i don't think we're going to come back to her children in a real way yeah. that sure. what i was reading i'm assuming you read this too that in the book that adam, adam the her son who marries he comes back with that wife, the wife and kids. she has ex- they in the book it, ex- it details that she goes through female circumcision Wow. And so and I thought that was scarring an, and facial scarring and he and chooses he, to get the facial yeah. scarring as well. Yeah. And I thought it's another way that Alice, Wa- I have to read that. I was like, I have to read this have book. To read the book. Yeah. Um, but I thought it's like a, it's not just women in the American South are put upon. Mm-hmm. It's that it, these institutions are, are keeping women in this place yeah. all over the world. I mean, it's such a smart yeah way to be like this isn't it's not just a you problem it's an everywhere problem it's it's a problem globally yeah um are we good are we good on netty i think we're good on that who do we want to go to do we want to go to sophia or do we want to go to suge i think we should sophia first because she's also kind of first in terms of the plot yeah so sophia is the new why do they get married they get married right they do get married during okay. the oh that's right they, yeah yeah uh she is the new wife of harpo who is um mister's son from a previous relationship uh she is a full-figured woman and um she is very uh headstrong yeah mm-hmm. and i think she's I, a great okay. foil to Celie. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to start by saying I think Danielle Brooks was put on this earth to play this role. Ab so she steals every scene that she's in it she if she doesn't get an academy award nomination for this film that it's rigged yeah it's yeah. rigged and we need to either stop the count or keep keep counting the votes <laughs> whatever whichever way it needs to go yeah she's is that it? so per- <laughs> she's just she's just she's so perfect in it mm-hmm. and the way i don't know what, how to say this like the character, I think, could become a caricature. Yeah. It could mm-hmm. feel like the the character was written just to be so like ridiculously headstrong that she's such a foil to Celie. Where like almost the what was the thing that people criticized like when we were in college about like female action heroes who were just like men but that had boobs or oh, whatever Mary, of like Mary do you Sue. know. Or like this, it was like strong female character or something, but it was all capitalized or something. There was a there was a period where people were really obsessed with cri- mm. criticizing these characters who were like they have no flaws, and it wasn't quite a Mary Sue because Mary Sue was like self insert, but maybe it's yeah, related yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, where like I I will get annoyed sometimes with things that are like trying to be feminist, and so then they have these women that like their whole personality is just like they're gonna they're gonna say whatever they want and blah yeah. blah blah. Cinderella, but, like, Cinderella, Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. But it never feels like that. It never feels like this is oh. not a real person that no. could exist and would actually react this way. And I mean, maybe it's partially the fact that she has this whole arc where her spirit does get broken in jail and then she kind of yeah. comes oh. back to it, which is devastating. But oh my God, the line, the, the okay. I don't, am I skipping? Cause I'm skipping out to like the end of the character. Yeah, arc, but like, when, okay. So at the dinner table. Yeah. So Sophia has been this headstrong woman. She ends up leaving Harpo when he beats her. She goes and finds a new man. She is in town at one point with her new family and the wife of the mayor tries to get her to work for her. Just like is really pushy about it. And then she just is like, 
hell no, I don't want to be your maid. And then it starts an altercation with the mayor. She ends up in jail. She's in jail for six years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then forced to go work as the maid when she's out of jail. It's like so ridiculous. So Sophia, who's been this very outspoken, headstrong character, her spirit's really broken by this whole jail experience. She's like completely quiet. She's not eating anything. It's this whole thing. She's catatonic. And she's absolutely catatonic. Yeah. Seely finally stands up to Mr. Says she's leaving her Memphis with Shug. And she's like... Seely's like threatening Mr. and getting herself out of there. And then I don't know if it's Sugar Seely that says like, Sophia will take over from here or something like that. Sophia mm-hmm. picks up the knife and she says something like, oh, Sophia was born to be here or something yeah. like, like, yeah. like about the fact that like she, this is, this is exactly the situation that she has been waiting has been her waiting whole life it. to like Absolutely. take mm-hmm. over the power structure of this family unit is it's everything she's, I ever and then she says there's gonna be a few changes around here uh-huh. oh yeah yeah it's, it's so it's, good which is like i think almost exactly the line in august osage county isn't it <laughs> it reminds okay this, this scene, scene yes. is so i mean there's so many great american like dinner Perfect. table scenes it's yeah. such like a staple of american the theater it's parodied all the time that like yes. it's such an iconic but when they're so yeah. good they hit so good and i think the the fact that America keeps doing Thanksgiving every year, I think it's we're like, going to get these dinner table scenes for the rest of the time. The it's yeah. like a cultural force. Like there is decorum when you are eating together as a family mm-hmm. that it's just, it's like a prime meat for and like, you break so it. Good. Yeah. Oh my God. Celie calls him like a sack of manure or something. And that's yes. what starts Sophia laughing. And then she's Sophia. like, pass me those peas. Oh my uh, God. Sophia. Final- she, she says, Celie is a, she, Celie says that he is, he is no, he is as bad as dead horse shit and should be in the ground where dead horse shit belongs. And that is what makes Sophia so like start cackling. Cackling. It's so good. He cackles. And she says, I've like, that is like the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And then she starts yeah. crying, like finally erupting this emotion. And just because she's so um, broken. Like, broken, but then yeah. like amazed at Seely. And it's like, Celie's the only one that visited me every single week during oh. the time that I was in jail. And I owe my Women. life to her. Pass Women. me those damn peas. <laughs> I'm finally going to eat. That entire time, like we were all laughing with her. And then the hush that the, the theater had when she changes, it was like, this is this is brilliant. It's like, such, yeah, good, it's such so- incredible writing too of like... Yeah. It cuts out so much of the tension of that right. moment because it can't it can't reach its climax just yet. So you have to release a little bit. Right. But then it like builds it. It starts building. Uh, it's so I mean, like, I hope screenwriters watch this movie. They're like, it's, oh, is this how honestly, you do it? That might be one of the best films I've seen. One of the best scenes I've seen in a film. Yes, absolutely. Ever. It's probably the best scene I've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so. And the thing is, like the color the original movie i this was an iconic scene too like obviously this mm. is the one where Celie finally leaves mm-hmm. and so i i felt that they they really like amped it up and and it was just yeah. it's ugh, it was so real from everyone <laughs> and i didn't expect this from sophia's character at all i only knew her from the clips of of leaving harpo and then th- this moment so i didn't know that she was going to get like her spirit broken by like being in jail and that truly that was probably for me i felt like it made me feel the sickest. Like it was so. Because I think, it, yeah, for me too. Yeah. It's <sighs> also interesting because this movie starts, and especially as someone who had never seen, I don't, I was again not familiar with this work at all. Yeah. Sophia is like introduced as like a very side character. And right. it's, and you're clearly in the beginning supposed to be like, oh, she's like she's what Steely should like try yeah. to aspire to a little bit more of like 
standing up for herself, blah, blah, blah. And you think that's it. And the fact that we then divert into a full story arc with her and like what happens with the jail and everything, I was like, oh, she's like a full, fully rounded character that I wasn't, I was just expecting her to kind of like be the comedic relief. And that was it. Hell no. After she leaves Harpo, I was like, am I not going to see Sophie? Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of hell no, I think we should take a little. Oh, yeah. Musical interlude. I feel sorry for you to tell you the truth. You remind me of my mama under your husband's thumb. No, you under your husband's foot. What he say go. Why you so scared? I never know. But if a man raise his hand, hell no, hell, hell, hell no, hell no. Oh, great. I mean, I also, it's so brilliant that we're so inspired by her in that song. And then it's saying hell no to the mayor's wife that ends up causing yes. her to go to jail. And you, and it's obviously unfair that all of that happens to her, but you also get a little bit frustrated with her watching that scene. Cause you, you feel the tension of the scene and yeah. you know, like girl, like you have to be more polite in your refusal. Like it's Ugh. not going to go well for you if you speak up for yourself this way. And so it's like, maybe that's also, why I think it's so brilliant and why she feels like a real character because we see it as her downfall as well as her strongest character her like her most admirable yeah. characteristic yeah. right yeah um it's her fatal flaw so like i think that that is so brilliant and then it's like when you re-listen to the song there's a sense of like dramatic irony foreshadowing too that's in that song yeah yeah i the, I noticed that as soon as she said hell no to the mayor's wife, I was like, oh, no. And Celie sings the reprise of hell no, but after mm. leaving, seeing her. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost, it, 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 it was really nice because it was a way of kind of telling herself that like. She's, yeah. She sees the, uh, the injustice, right? <sighs> yeah. It's so. Uh, <sighs> it's real good. I, I'm, I hate to tell you girls, she is. She is the front runner of the showies. I'm not yeah. uh, right now. Absolutely. Right now, girl. I best, also just want to shout movie, out her line. Danielle Brooks. <laughs> yeah. Um, her line later to Mr. where she says, shouldn't you be hanging out in a place with more folks your age, like a cemetery? It's <laughs> so, so good. good. It's so good. <laughs> so good. She has a lot of great one-liners in this film. It's really the man is also a... fully like 50 years old, is the best part of it. Like he's yes. not old enough yes. to yes. a cemetery, but it's so funny. Oh my god. Um so do you want to talk should we talk a little bit about harpo too or do we care we can I do. he that guy was in in the heights that's cool yes he was, he yes. was benny. Benny. benny i did really like his performance here um again didn't really know much about the harpo sophia story mm-hmm. i only knew you told harpo to beat me so i was like how is harpo connected to the story mm-hmm. so it is very it was very refreshing to at least see a man try to at least do mm. good with what he has and obviously he is swayed by what people by what he's 
learned. Or what he's learned, what he's... I, okay, wait. Oh. I'm going to take issue with the concept that he's doing good. I think that he is... trying to... I don't think he... No, but I don't think that he is nice to his wife initially because he's trying to be better than his father. He just is naturally less domineering. And so he, like... Yeah. He yeah. wants her to just listen to him and she, he doesn't know how. And that's why Celia tells that's him true. to beat her. So it's yeah. not like... He's not, like, thinking about it and breaking the generational cycle right, or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. I think he's just, like, a less naturally violent man and he sees that as an issue for himself so like i don't and i guess he kind of turns it around i I think we're supposed to understand he's turned it around later especially because sophia does go back to him and she probably wouldn't accept it if he hadn't changed but like we don't really even see a redemption arc of him we see him regret the decision because she leaves but we don't see him like contend with that or like a really in-depth scene of them together later and how he's treating her now or anything like that so i think that he is accidentally a better man, not intentionally. Yeah, I mean, I it definitely they definitely paint him more as like he really he's in love with Sophia, and I think that's, that's true. That's yeah. that's kind of what's guiding him because he doesn't know, like he he doesn't know how to be with a woman like Sophia because he's only known that like a man is in is in charge. I mean, mm-hmm. they focus on his reaction as a kid with that first night that Celie comes to live at Mister's mm, and he, right. he gets slapped, they show Harpo's reaction yeah. of like horror at what's going on. Right. Um, I think there is a, li- I think it's both. I think there's a little bit of like, he's probably trying and I think you're right. I, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't show. We don't, I don't know. Maybe there, it goes into more detail in the book. Um, the, the, def- the movie definitely doesn't actually show any kind of redemption, but I don't think it really shows redemption for Mr. Either, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm. I think, yeah, when we talk about Seeley, the, yeah. Um, but yeah, Daniel Brooks, please give her every, every flower on earth, every purple flower on earth, because she is so good mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, who's next? Shug? Shug? Go to Shug. Okay. Molly's new, Molly's, <laughs> Molly's, new Molly's icon. Yeah. Oh my God. When she, I mean, first when she just enters the film and that song that they sing, to introduce her. Still Gary's coming to town. <laughs> it's I mean, generally people don't get this kind of entrance unless they're a villain. And so right. I love I love I love this villain entrance song for a queen. <laughs> um and then, but more importantly, when she enters on the boat to the Duke. Oh my again, God. like these are the shots where I was like, this is a gorgeous film. Yeah. I I, I want nothing more in life than to enter a party on a boat like Shug Avery. Mm-hmm. does for because it's so great because Celie comes down the stairs dressed up and Mr's like thrown by the fact that she looks good and then she says like Suge said she wanted to make a dramatic entrance and we just cut to behind the boat and we see her moving yeah. towards it and it's it's perfect mm-hmm. and then she begins to sing musical theater's greatest and to my knowledge only homage to the clitoris and so I think that we should talk about that absolutely okay let's um let's push the button let's push the button, push the button. now listen all you you all I know what to do. You all I know what to do. There ain't nothing wrong with nothing. That's right with all of you. So then tonight you make your lover cry out like a lion roar. Tell your neighbors you're no kidding down the creek. She's looking for.
gosh, we haven't sounds so good. It actually, it, so I had to good. think about that. I was like, I don't think I've heard Taraji sing like this before. And I had to make sure like she did sing it, right? Because I just, I think I've heard her sing in the Muppets Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. She sang like a as a bit. It was like my first question walking out whether she sang it. And I wrote like, did Taraj and Google autofilled Taraji P. Henson sing her role in Clover Boy? I was like, everyone's curious about this because it's an amazing performance vocally. Yeah. She sounds amazing. Wow, Shug. I. Wow, Shug. Wow, Shug. Wow, Shug. (laughs) I mean, this Shug Avery, I was really scared because I was like, I don't know how this, this character has so much power and presence, right? She's, made it out and she's she has men do like mister who is like the antagonist of the film basically falls to every whim like he literally she literally controls him and so it's just like i'm so scared because she has all this power i'm scared like how she's going to treat Celie, and the way that it's it like blossoms obviously into like a relationship and it was i was so I was like so taken by it that when she leaves that first time, that was probably the first one of the, I remember feeling really scared. Cause I was like, I free, I feel like Celie, how long is she going to take to come back and to take her away? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she this, has an energy that is magnetic. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She, there's a, there's a moment, there's two moments that I thought were really interesting in this film because I, I was assuming, I think when this started that it was going to be like, a movie about how black women support each other, which it is, but I thought that it was not going to have any moments where they didn't support each other, where there were no problems in their friendship or whatever. And I think the one for Sophia is when she reveals that she was like, I'm jealous of how much Harpo loves you. Loves you. And that's why yeah. I told him uh, to do that. Yeah. And yeah. it's so incredible. The only way to move forward in their friendship is for that reveal to happen. And yeah, then the other one that, that I yeah. thought was very interesting is when Celie comes down the stairs and she sees um, she sees uh, Mr. Mr. and Suge like kind of coupled up in the yeah, living room or whatever. Yeah. And there's like a she unspoken gets- look between the two of them. And Suge Sh- knows she's wrong, but <laughs> I just I I thought I was I was like, oh, this is so much more interesting than I thought yeah. it was actually going to be because it wasn't I'm sorry, but it wasn't it was a recognition that Celie is like a human being. And unfortunately, yeah. up until this point, she has been recognized as a human very little in this film. Yeah. So it yeah. was like it was very um, I felt very impactful. And I was like, oh, I'm glad they yeah. included that as a as a portion. I mean, honey, now this is a movie about polyamory. Am I right? In oh, terms huh. of Suge and Celie's relationship and the way that Celie has no issue with her being with Mr. Now, Celie doesn't love Mr. But like, yeah. it's complicated, but it's never, there's never like jealousy that comes into this picture. Mm, That's not right. the problem that exists. I, I agree that like that scene, Suge is giving her a look to say like, you're right. Like not I'm sorry, but like, I know that this is your husband and it's weird that I'm just like so blatantly here to sleep with him. Yeah. Um, and then Suge later brings um, Celie to her house in Memphis and her husband has no issue with this at all. Yeah. yeah. Even though they're very clearly, I mean, like, I don't like, maybe we're supposed to understand that the husband doesn't really know what's going on between Suge and Celie, but like, I feel like he probably does get it to some extent. And he seems, he seems to be, my interpretation is like, 
Suge married this guy, one, because he's obviously rich because he has an amazing house. But yes. like two, I think he is a man who understands that he can't tie Suge down, right? Like yeah. that, yes. that mm-hmm. being married to her means like she says like, we're going to go to this house in rural Georgia and we're going to go get this woman. She's going to stay in her house and you say, yes, ma'am. Like that Absolutely. is the deal if you're going to be married to Suge. And mm-hmm. so I just love that like they it's a story where like there's room for everybody and and the complicatedness of the relationships comes from people being mistreated but not from a rule of like there's one way that relationships have to be it can only Mm -hmm. be like one person at a time like whatever i think that there is some really beautiful like love kind of multiplies instead of divides kind of stuff going on with the complexities of these relationships i also think this casting is also brilliant because I think we all know Taraji P. Henson as this character who's outspoken, like very, um, like just like an excitable person. Like she's, she's always like herself when she does like interviews or like talk shows. She's magnanimous. She's, yeah. Yes. And, and, and very charismatic and very magnetic. And I love that the Shook character had like, things to still work through with her father, the reverend Yes, that showed at least like, this is not just like a stock character that like, it's not deus ex Shug. Like this yeah. is still also a person in this world still going through stuff and she's choosing to, to, Truly, to do it. Yeah. And, the, and the movie doesn't end when she leaves that, that it, a yes. lesser, a lesser piece ends right with that table scene. And then she leaves, she leaves. goes to Memphis and all as well. Happily ever after. But that's well, not the end of her story. Yeah. Or even when Suge, le- like I was worried when she, f- the first time Suge left, it was like, that's it. And this is and about this left. woman who's like, she makes everyone feel special, but like, you're not really special. Like that's a very yeah. well-known trope of like, right. especially like a performer character who's like right, right, so right. good at charming people. And like, you think it's something significant, but it's a small drop in the pan for them. Mm-hmm. But like, Celie does mean something for Suge and she does come back for her. And it feels mm-hmm. like she just waited until she had the place that Celie could stay, right? Like right. it seems so the intentional, yeah. the mm-hmm. means to get Celie out of there. And so Suge remaining this important person in Celie's life. And I love the fact that it's like, also like, I agree. Like, I love that she has the whole problem with the minister and her slash father. And like, it's, she's allowed to have her own story and her own right. flaw. Like everyone in this movie, except for maybe Nettie has like clear flaws that they're, they're dealing with um but also like like suga is like sitting next to nelly or sorry um Celie at the end but it doesn't feel like oh now we're a couple and so now no. i can have my own life or like she, like she doesn't need suga to save her either it doesn't yeah. feel like suga becomes this all-important like replacing mister or anything like that suga no. and loving suga is like a part of her story but it's not the whole story either mm-hmm. and i love that it doesn't feel like it's a saving each other kind of a narrative either. Like yeah, saving each other in moments, but not like it's a movie about her being saved by romance. Yes. Cause like what you said, when they leave Memphis, like the, the movie could have ended even when they get to Memphis and like now Suge just lives her life starting anew. But the fact that kind of life still continues for her, like when she gets, you know, the store and her father dies I don't think Suge comes with her. Suge doesn't really. No. She, I think she's there to sing the pants song, but yeah. Yeah. Suge's not part of her life. She really just, it's the thing of like, you just have to listen to the people that are willing to give you a chance or willing to kind of, to, 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 to get you out, you know? But then like, it's because of that. It's because Suge said I, she needs to see the world and she does. And because of that is when she, she feels like, then she can make a good decision of like, you know, get my house back or like, 
Yeah. It's so interesting that the plot of this movie hinges on like, will she ever see Nettie again? When the real actual character story arc is like, will she ever love herself? Right. And mm. it's treated her. You have to have all of this growth that she learned. I mean, it, so she learns from Sophia, but she also learns from Suge. Sure. And there's so much growth she does as a person to get to the point where she sings, I'm here yeah. and is yeah. able to have. It's, <laughs> it's a classic want versus need story mm-hmm. that what, Celie wants is to be reunited with Nettie, but what she needs is to learn how to love herself. Because the character is often not, a psychologically complex character is not driven by the thing that they really need because we are genuinely not able often to identify what we truly need, right? And so uh, it's such such a good, rich character. Yeah. Before we leave, Suge, can we play What About Love? So that's the... Yeah, we have to talk about this. This? Oh, let's play it. Ears that meet hopes floating away, lifted up to the clouds by kids. Never felt nothing like this. They're watching this movie and then all of a sudden they are the movie and the set is so presentational. It looks like like a set. It looks like a, like a concert set and it's them dancing. They are in these gowns. It's the 20s. <laughs> it's yep. the 20s. And it's just the entire like going into it. I knew that there was like implied like. A re- an implied relationship of Shug and, and Celie watching it. I was like, oh, it was not implied at all. It's not implied. <laughs> it's it's not, not implied. implied. Um, <sighs> they have a beautiful love song together. They dance in this beautiful dream sequence. And I was thinking when I was watching this too about like, I'm sure that there is a, a bunch of discourse and people who are so thrilled to like see two black women in love with each other right on screen. Totally. But like, I was also so inspired by like seeing two middle-aged black women yes, in love yeah. with each other on screen too, yes. that I was like, this is like not a thing that we get to see like two women who are not like slight little 20 somethings yeah. who are mm-hmm. in love with each other. Like it's so, it's just so gorgeous and so fulfilling. And, yeah. and then the kiss that they have in the movie theater the is movie so theater. sweet. And then we cut to them waking up next to each other. And I, I mean, I seem you noticed, but like, um, Suge like has her arm around Celie's waist when they're waking mm-hmm. up, like they've been cuddling all night. It's like, mm-hmm. so it's very tender. It's so sweet. It's very mm-hmm. tender. And I think that they did a really good job of making it explicit, but also not too explicit where then it starts to become the like exploitative people want right. to see women having sex yeah. with each other mm-hmm. thing. Um, where like, it's so clearly about like, it's a physical expression of like a real love that they have for each other. And it's not about the like sexual tension of it necessarily. Yeah. 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 I mean, even the, the scene where she 
tells Celia to play her record. She winds the record and then she goes into the stream to that song where she's like, on the, I finally on the record, get, itself. On the record <laughs> I get to find the what men love about Suge Avery. Avery. Yeah. And it's the scene of that Suge in this bathtub on this giant turntable. It's such a cool visual station. The visual is amazing. Because yeah. something that I was getting a little nervous about before Suge came on was like, there are a number of of musical numbers that are like a person walking down a dirt road before yes, this where I was yes. like is this going to be mm-hmm. the choice every time is like a person walking down a dirt road and we were yeah. on the record I was like oh no there's oh, many choices that are going to happen okay yeah. great yeah that's definitely like the blackest king influence that I felt like oh this is a person who mm. understands music and how to visualize it yes. yeah and f- trusts the audience trust to the audience be like, like yeah yeah we're on a record yeah yeah, yeah. it's so I think are we, okay Suge great character um, I feel ready to move on to Celie and Miss, everything and her else. Pants, Miss Celie's. Miss Celie's fancy pants. Fancy pants. Um, so Celie, if you notice, she does not sing in scene until um Either. no, until fancy pants. Until the pants. Oh, the fancy pants song. <laughs> which you could even say the the dress, the the pants sequence is like not really reality i mean it's obviously not reality but it's the like, music's not diegetic yeah right right yeah. but it, it's okay. it's the first time she is in scene where there is she's like actually in the location where she is singing mm, the okay. first time her character sings i am not sorry i'm not including the um uh the like the the song the sisters have on yeah. the tree i'm not including mm, that yeah yeah really so the first time is when the rattle happens and she like has she sings she be mine which is about um Imagine Olivia, yes. her daughter that she had to was Olivia the most recent one? Olivia was the f- No, Adam is the most recent. Adam is one. the most recent. So Adam is the older. younger. Yeah. Olivia's older. But she's the one that she sees in that store, I mm-hmm. believe. Yes. So Olivia, yes. she sees Olivia in the store, she goes outside and then she has this song dream sequence uh about Olivia, which I will play a little bit of She Be Mine Now. It is original to this film. It is a new, it is a new song. I seen my baby girl. Can't be no one else. Looking just like me and my daddy. Most. And I saw Her hand on the lady's shoulder She come out I'll meet you in her fist She got my eyes And her face A done kiss Eyes so Olivia on her diets Little stars And flowers too I know she sees Same things I do Oh the Lord Oh, she and oh, it was reinstated. I'm sorry, it was not original. Okay, so Mm. She Be Mine was reinstated. It was not. It was written for the musical, and then it was cut before it made it. It premiered. Um, so it was reinstated for this film. I want to say. Firstly, it makes a lot more sense now that I know that Felicia Pearl and Posse is 30 because holy cow, her voice is like 
so like full and like like if she right. was actually 19 i would be stunned by this but like she has the voice of like a full grown adult for sure yeah. um the way that this scene like transitions into this song where you're mm-hmm. you're seeing her looking at the baby and she's so happy and then we hear the like blues spiritual beats and the like hitting of the rocks and everything it, like mm-hmm. feels you with such a sense of dread where it the, does the disconnect between her joy her, of seeing the yes. baby and then the the auditory experience of the song is like so jarring in a in like the correct way like it's trying to tell you something about the moment yeah that her joy is misplaced it can't can't be joy because the visuals the visuals of these like men like prisoners like mining and then like like a chain gang yes and then splashing like later women like doing laundry in the fountain like splashing it's like it's not necessarily like joyous visuals it's just it is it's hard labor. It's hard visuals. labor. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, the, the, what she is, over, she has joy at seeing her daughter because at this point she is pretty certain that her dad is like killing them. Yeah. That's yeah, that right. Alfonso is killing her children. And this is her first sign that like they're, they're alive. They're not with her, but they're definitely alive. So at least that's something. But uh, yeah, I think the visuals contextualize with. So the other thing, okay. So what I was saying was, I think these are fantasy songs. And then I just remembered that um, she has "Keep It Moving" with her and Nettie have that song "Keep It Moving" when they like mm-hmm. are supposed to go collect firewood and they don't, and they like run around the town. That's, um, that's also original. That's so that's original. That's original to this film, and then the mm-hmm. song at the in the credits is original. Okay, so that's what I I felt that that song was original. <laughs> I felt like oh, this feels modern like it feels mm. different because i know in the yeah. original musical they had a, the two sisters had a song called our prayer and it's like a prayer that they recite to each other that they'll always be together that they kind of like sing as they and then like the the song itself is very much like a musical theater song of like who's that that's Sugar avery who's that mm. that's mister like it's kind of like the song is the motif for the basically the whole sequence of them as kids as sisters that i was like okay I understand taking that out because those were replaced ultimately by scenes to show and depict yeah. their relationship. So, um, but it felt like the most like contemporary song. I was like, Oh, yeah. I bet this is different. Cause it doesn't feel like it's in conversation. If it doesn't feel like the same. So if you ignore that song, then my, <laughs> my point still holds, Okay, which you could even say like, it's once Nettie leaves that she has like lost. Mm. She's not even able there to like go. sing yes. in her regular sure life does. anymore. Yeah. Sophia sings hell no. And Suge sings all the songs Suge sings. And those mm-hmm. are because those characters are, uh, are able to express themselves in that way. But she is containing it all in these dream sequences in her head because she is so scared of living out loud in that way yeah. until yeah pants buy these pants or whatever the song is but really (laughs) until i'm here is when it's like it is Uh. it's probably the most diegetic like i think i you could you could argue that you could make the argument that she is like singing that song in space yeah and it i would believe it more than i I would make that argument but i think (laughs) it is very grounded in the moment and in the space that she's in for sure she feels so much more connected to herself Mm-hmm. In, I thought this about her being connected to herself. Yeah. Because I knew the song separate from the show. I thought the song was going to happen at the end of the dinner scene because she says, I may be poor, I may be black, I may be ugly, but I'm here. 
Like that, so- I thought that too, because I also thought that it was the act one closer of the musical for some reason. I thought so too. And then- it just feels like an act one closer maybe. But then I remembered, I watched that clip in, in the makeup tutorial. Um, and I remember her looking like Celie in- Celie's pants. Like she's wearing the, the yellow glasses. pants. She was wearing, yeah, the, wearing she the looks pants. older. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. oh yeah, I think it is a true 11 o'clock number then. Cause I, I was like, when is the song going to happen? Cause she already left Mr. So I was like, what else is, what else is there to happen for her to kind of have to like reinstate kind of like her, her independence. Yeah. From the, from the lyrics of that song that I knew, I thought she sang it to Mr. Mr. I thought it was a song to him. And I'm just checking real quick who, no, she, it says, so in the, in the act two, I'm reading the synopsis on Wikipedia of the the stage version while walking home, Celie realizes she isn't destroyed by this. And for the first time feels a deep love for herself. I'm here. So it is always like a song to herself. Um, Yeah. Oh, because at the in the musical, Shug tells Celie that she is basically going to be with um, the musician, mm-hmm. and I think they still have that moment where I think that's from the book too. Mister comes and tries yeah. to like be like, "I want to change." Did okay? I want to talk about Mister's redemption or non-redemption yes. in a second. Did either of you get nervous when she? Yeah, his redemption. Um, did either of you get nervous when she accepted the store about the fact that Mister? I mean, he lives like outside of town or whatever, right, but she right. had like left him for Memphis, and then she was going back yes. to be in like way closer uh, physical town. proximity to yeah. her very physically abusive ex. Like, I got nervous about like, are you sure you feel safe opening this store here? Um, I mean, it doesn't. He doesn't become violent again, but I, I just, I was a little surprised. I, it felt a little fast from when she had left right. initially. But I yeah. do wonder if this, like, the na- the land is on her name. You know, I wonder if like that is such a increase that she's basically protected by the town. She is someone that, like, okay, but you know what I mean? Oh, okay, yes. This actually is a question I have. Is she protected by the town? Because something I think is interesting is at the beginning of the movie. She's very visibly pregnant. And then there's like a woman in the town who asks her like, oh, what are you going to name your baby? So it's very clearly communicated in the costumes that that both sisters are considered children at this point Mm -hmm. in time Mm because they're wearing these like all white dresses that like I know from enough turn of the century media is like what you wore before you were considered an adult in society. And people know that she's pregnant. And I was like, does anyone ask questions about like who the father is of these children? Like I was kind of disturbed by how open it seemed like the pregnancy was because I don't know how people were possibly not saying who got this child pregnant. Um, So I'm not really sure what to make of the town as a place in terms of protecting Celie. That's the thing that I, that's why I would like to watch that original Broadway production or like the stage version because I liked, I think when I was starting the movie, I liked that there was a Greek chorus element and then it basically d- disappears. Um, mm-hmm. It really is just that first part to establish the town. Mm-hmm. But in the, as I was thinking it more, I'm like, I don't know if I would like to, because then what does that say about, yeah, like this town knowing the business that's happening to to this girl and how yeah. it's wrong, but it feels like no one's doing anything because well, that's not in my business. We have to, you know, like every household is its own household, you know, like that's not very church-like. Like I, it, I could tell that it could start getting muddy if, if the town and the, like the chorus was more involved. I mean, I think it, I think it's, I think it's very specific that it's, they are not, they are not 
they are aware. I mean, we don't know. Are they aware that it's, it's like really- his? You know what I mean? Like, and obviously, whatever. Like, I don't know. But then it's when he dies, there were. It, it was yes, like that's what I was gonna point out. His eulogy yeah. is like he wasn't a great guy. Yeah. So it's very clear that they know he was like kind of a pile of shit. Yeah. But also, I think I don't not think that the town also had a difference of view of Nettie versus Celia as well. Yeah. I don't. It's so not Nettie in the text. By the rest just, of the town. Yeah. 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 It just feels like Nettie was the smart one. Nettie went to school, and Celia was be a teacher. Nettie yeah. was going to be a teacher, and Celia was the one who's like, she's a worker. I have to buy. I have to buy someone to marry her. Yeah. Like to marry her off. Yeah. But, I mean, no one is asking questions about how he marries like a fourteen-year-old girl. Like, there's a lot of questions that aren't asked about this film, but also like it's rural Georgia in nineteen. Like it's. There's a lot of people who aren't asking questions about anything because they're trying to just live their lives (laughs) day to day. Hmm. But Seely. So Seely. So Seely. So Seely. I think in terms of like great main characters of stage and screen, this has to be in the top 10. Like this is like she is so and she is because she's so. I don't want to say demure is probably not the right word, but like she's so soft spoken yeah. for much of the film that well, it is. And so I, passive. It's interesting yeah. for her to be a great character who's so passive for so much of yes. it. Yeah. But I think there is a real, you, oh, you feel for her so quickly and not just because of her circumstances, but I think she is so sweet and kind. And I think the really like, getting that scene at the very beginning where she like learns to sew from her mom and having that included in her like story. And that becomes her like her way, way out. out. I yeah. think it's so smart the way it's set up yeah. and for her journey to go on. And she is not a perfect character. She ha- she's a lot of things she has to learn in order to become the full self-actualized version of herself. But I just think, I think Fantasia did such a great job with this performance yeah. and it is so such a big ask to like be this passive and like still have like not have the audience want to like rip their hair out every time you're on screen getting like like because like you want her to stand up for herself but you also it's set up in such a way that you know why she why she is not able to or unwilling or scared to like she is yeah she's a victim of circumstance in that way i watched this clip of them being interviewed and well, first off, Fantasia's already played this role before, right? On stage. Mm-hmm. So she's familiar yeah. with the role. I remember in an interview, she's saying that she was hesitant to accept the role initially for the movie because she had done it like years ago. So it's like stepping mm. back to yeah, yeah. a role that you've like almost 10, like way more than 10 years later. But then to kind of go back to that familiar territory with like new lived in experiences, Ugh. like, would you want to go back to like relive such a heavy character? So she took, I, she said that she took time to kind of think about it before, mm-hmm. uh, before wanting to do it. And then in the interview, Taraji Panton actually also says like, I know what it's like to play these big, very, mm-hmm. you know, like traumatic characters. And she because this is like one of Fantasia's like biggest roles she felt like on set she was like I wanted to like you know crack jokes with her all the time so I could make sure that she doesn't take Suey home with her like this is mm. a character that you can so leave dark. yeah and yeah. not feel like you have to take that energy outside of her because that's like this is definitely a character that it would be so hard to shake off if you had to play and live this yeah this 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 character is so especially in the like the first half that I think when you get to the dinner scene 
like the first two acts the first are just two acts. so heavy yeah there's just all these moments that you want her to finally like speak out and that when she finally does it's it's that great scene on the table because you know the audience is already rooting for you and is waiting for this to happen yeah yeah um we this we would be remiss if we did not listen to a bit of i mean honestly not even a bit of the end of idea camera to cry for a second there adam i did yeah i did oh it's, it's so the, good it's so good it is the cop first of all she says i'm beautiful to the camera doesn't she in the movie oh, yeah mm-hmm. she breaks she's just she, looking in she your soul is looking into your soul the fact that it's fantasia knowing that her voice is truly one of the most unique signature voices that we have in like american yeah. music mm-hmm. the yeah. fact that it's her voice singing this there's just it's like it's truly flossing flossing my brain it's so and good it worked like the performance is broadway level like yeah. emotions like like big performance mm-hmm. staring at a camera that's like inches from her face and it never feels feels artificial or too no. much you know right. mm-hmm. that's what's so impressive about the performance is that yeah. it reaches those emotional heights and it never becomes melodrama right absolutely um the the way it is like anticlimactic when she's uh. like the melody stopping for the I'm beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh. Music really <laughs> popped off with this one. It's so good. It's so this song powerful. is an homage to music and what music <laughs> truly and what music. Yeah, I mean if if anyone wants I'm already just, just oh thinking about the song. All three of us are crying, by the way, in case yeah. anybody wants to know. This is my go-to if I just need to cry. I will watch mm. Fantasia singing I'm here, LaShawn singing I'm here, Cynthia Rebo singing I'm here, like yeah. Jennifer Hudson singing I'm here to the uh. Oprah um Kennedy Center honors. Oh, like yeah. it is just a marathon of like amazing voices singing the song. Oh. It's just so powerful and it's so there's not even like it is it's so pow- <laughs> it's like it's true power. It's it's true power coming from one voice like one person feeling like especially like Celie's story where there has been zero like she had no power this entire time yeah so then ultimately get a store like be backed by like the laws of the land that like you have 
This is yours. This is and yours. it's because you Cinderella fought for her right to own this dress and shop. It's because, that- yes. it's because Cinderella stood on that statue. Yes. <laughs> it really, it all comes back to that. Because Jolly killed the kid. <laughs> oh, it's it's great. It's also not even just like the voice the voice in the song. Yeah. It's like she it's so you see it in her she's very expressive. It in a way reminds me of um of um home from the whiz in the way it's mm, like yes. I have learned everything, everything I have to learn from the story that you have been watching for the past yeah. two yeah. hours and 25 minutes. Yeah. And now I'm going to tell you exactly what I've learned and I'm going to yeah. sound incredible doing <laughs> it. Oh, it's so totally. good. Totally. Okay. Now that we've all cooled our heels. Do we want to talk about Mr. Let's this redemption. Yeah. So it seemed like now I'm forgetting because it was a little while, like an hour ago that I did this, that I read the different versions. Mm-hmm. It seems like he is maybe the most forgiven in this version. Version in this adaptation. I oh, think okay. maybe. Oh, shoot. Okay. Can we pause and I'm going to actually look it up? Yeah, I'm going to look up something. Okay. I'll read. I'll read the book. Okay. Okay, I have the movie one. So let me know because we'll start with the book. So in the so in the in the in the book, it just says that um uh blah, 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 where did it go? I scrolled accidentally. Celie learns that Mister is suffering from a considerable decline in fortunes and begins calling him by his first name, Albert. Mister proposes that they marry, quote, in the spirit as well as in the flesh, but Celie declines. That is the last thing that is referenced to him in this Wikipedia summary of the book. Yeah. Okay. In the 1985 film, the plot about him getting the letter from U.S. Immigration Services happens. Mm-hmm. Or I guess in this one, it's like he gets a letter from Nettie saying, can you go to Immigration Services? And he does the thing where he sells his, or maybe not sells his land, but he gets money and he arranges for Nettie to come back. But it says that he watches from a distance as they reunite. So it's like he privately redeems himself, but he doesn't ask Seely to forgive him. Mm-hmm. He just he sees the error of his ways, and then he does something for her to try to make up for it. But he doesn't like insert himself into the situation. Mm-hmm. The nineteen eighty five. In this version, he comes to the pants shop. He buys a pair of pants, which are very, it is a funny little comedic bit that he yeah, buys these like sequined pants, basically. Yeah, gives him gives Seely like basically the just stuff that she, from their house. Yeah, and doesn't ask explicitly it's more of just like i i don't even remember if it was like the insinuation is like can we try again can we try again? and or, she says yeah, no he, he's saying he says something like maybe sometime we could and she like cuts him off and, and she says like us. i think you and i should be friends yeah. so yeah i don't know if he was gonna say have dinner or yeah. try again or whatever but like mm-hmm. you understand that he's he wants to try to rekindle something and she's saying but she says be friends, friends and i think which, that seems generous. That's already generous. I mean, we have seen him that her curse worked and that he has been brought low. Yes. I feel mm-hmm. like she hasn't seen that though. Um, 
And just like trust. I don't know. <laughs> a scene where a man like buys some pants that weren't selling feels like maybe like a Harpo. A Harpo could do that. And I'd say, yeah, yeah Sophia, maybe, maybe we extend He's an olive lesson. branch. Yeah, yeah. He's learned his lesson. Um, a mister? Uh, I feel like buying a pair of pants seems My, like yeah, kinda, not quite adequate. Yeah. I mean, we can ass- yeah. we can maybe plausibly assume that because she's in the town that she's heard about what he's mm. gone, gone through. What's gone through? Yeah. Um. I mean, like lo- like locusts, locusts, like, like, full on plagues. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of iconic. It's, like, if I had is. that power, listen. Oh my god! I, I was about to be building. like the fantasy, the fantasy of being able to curse a man in this way. <laughs> I know, like, and classic biblical plagues. Yes. Like, yeah. I didn't know locusts. Could- exist but it looks like i mean again i haven't seen the movie i haven't seen the musical and i haven't read the book but i don't think i think this is the only version that ends with this this um the the easter Easter, like Mm. the dinner i think so when you like because in the movie, it's a the 1985 movie with Sir Richards from a distance they reunite and the two sisters bond over a hand clapping game from their childhood fine the the no. book, um, as Celie realizes she is content without Suge, Suge returns having ended her relationship with Jermaine. Nettie, Samuel, Olivia, Adam, and Tashi all arrive at Celie's house. Nettie and Celie reunite after 30 years, introducing one another to their respective families. And in the musical... Fourth of July. Seven, seven, seven years later, hosting a Fourth of July picnic for the community, Celia hears a car horn and a familiar voice from her neighborhood. It is Nettie's scene, the clapping song they sang years ago. They both run to each other and hug with Celia's children right behind them, all grown up. After learning that Mr. and Suge have made the reunion possible, Celia thanks them and God for reuniting with her sister. I think it's interesting to change it to Easter, though. It's very specific. I mean, oh, it's yeah. forgiveness and yeah. resurrection. Yeah. I it mean, was... okay. <sighs> I, some a little bit of it was like iconic, especially when he got the invitation to like her annual Easter thing. That I was like, I mean, this is like generous, but it's also a little bit of a flex of like, oh, I do this every year. I just want I you to know, like, I'm year. successful enough to host an Easter dinner every yes. year for, for the whole everyone town. in the town. Yeah, everyone, for in, the everyone town. in town. Um, so that was kind of great. Um, I don't even. I don't even know that he like can't come to the Easter dinner, but I want him mm-hmm. to be like on the other side of the tree. I don't want him to sit next. I don't want him to sit next. I don't want him at the kids' table. table. Totally. Like he doesn't. He's not like literally next to her, but he's like in the line of like the people yeah. of her family. I feel like, and it's yeah. like he doesn't deserve to be that's, like in the family anymore. That's how I know? felt too. It felt. I if this is if this is the true, like lesson, right? Like to how how far can you forgive <laughs> for me personally? I was like, I, this is a brave woman. This is a strong woman. I mean, look, I, yeah, oof. I understand. I understand the narrative or like the way of thinking of forgiveness is like, it's about you and it's about you not holding on to the yeah. grudge. And I think that Celie does mm-hmm. forgive him in the sense that she comes into her She's, own and she doesn't worry about what it's Mr. Not thinks of her. her down and, right. And yeah. so I think it's, I think it's good to have something that happens that symbolically shows like, you know, a mister can be her or not, but like, it doesn't bother me because he's like, tr- he's truly unimportant to me. I've yeah. moved on and I've forgiven him in that way, I think is great. Mm-hmm. But to forgive him, to be friends, to have him sit near your children at Easter dinner, like, I don't think that he has earned a place of trust in her life. Especially since they didn't have a relation, like a mutual relationship, only until after he was being punished, like in these yeah. plagues, and and because, she became successful. Right, but she part of the condition of the 
plague was you have to do right by me yeah so do, the yes. question is does he do right by her is is it enough for because sensibly what it is is that him bringing nutty back sets everything right so yeah. is it enough that's the question i think it's i think it's fine I can be satisfied with it being enough for God to stop sending him locusts. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't accept it being enough for Nettie to have Nettie. Him, or, or yeah. for Seely to have him as part of her life. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what I can't get over. I think too, there is a thing that I the maybe the only one of my only criticisms is like at this point, he is I think he's like older when they get married in 1904. Mm-hmm. I think he's like at least in his 20s if not his 30s like he's definitely yeah. well older than her and they go through 40 years of life so at this point he would be like maybe 70 i wish may i think that could be another kind of ex- like understanding of like this man is at the end of his life i'm not saying it's correct or not but i think it would maybe lead Play to the- more understanding as to why celie is like he's sure. not gonna do anything just, anymore in case in case listeners think I am being unsympathetic, I need to like emphasize to you that this man abused this woman. This man oh, is he? for 20 years. He should I be in say, prison. And, he should be he, in prison. So, yeah. And also like, it's not like an abusive relationship. Like it's passionate and sometimes it bubbles over into it. It's not a no. Billy Bigelow situation mm-hmm. where no. like, I hate Billy Bigelow, but like he does, he does love June love or whatever. Julie, and he's just Julie, Julie Jordan. or Julie yeah. or whatever. But like, he, no he is incapable no. of that. Like, there's no affection between these two people. There is no, no love. He acquires the only her in a he business likes purchase. In this movie is Shug. Yeah. Yeah. He acquires this woman in a business purchase. He thinks lowly of her in every moment that they interact with each other, and he physically hits her in every scene they're in together. Like, mm-hmm. it's there is no ounce of respect or admiration that exists in this relationship until he buys an ugly pair of pants from her. Like, I just yeah. think that it mm-hmm. is. It is without a doubt like the most abusive relationship we've ever seen yeah. in a musical. Yeah. And so it requires a quite an extreme atonement for it to feel like a full forgiveness is warranted. Mm-hmm. That was like the toughest pill for me to swallow as yeah. the movie was wrapping up. Cause it ended up, I mean, he bought the pants. He's like, I look pretty good in these pants. And like, you're supposed to laugh at him. And the entire time I'm like, I don't want to see you anymore. Like, it would almost work better <laughs> if he even like found another woman and then we got to see him treat that woman well. And yeah. then maybe so I could like see him at the Easter. Yeah. Like he had learned his lesson and we see evidence that he's learned his lesson. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I like wish another woman to be with Mr. But like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like I, I, or I would have loved I see I mean, that I, he is sad, but not that he has learned. Yeah. I did like the scene of like Harpo kicking him out. I wish it was yeah. a little bit more kind of like if he's only going to listen to a man like what he because he yeah. listens to Harpo before right of like I own this part of the land so I'm going to build a juke or like I build a house for me and Sophia I think it's very smart it for him been. to fall asleep in the field and wake up with like mud all over his face I mean right. to like yeah. fully, fully symbolize that he is at the lowest else. point of his life yeah. yeah I think that's very smart and I liked that choice I think the co- so like imagine imagine on a journey with me where he has gone to prison for domestic abuse okay mm-hmm. and then he, he goes through what Sophia went through he goes through what Sophia went through but we don't see anything like we see with Sophia like we just yes, see, we, we know he goes to prison goes. and then one day he comes out okay. and he comes to the pant okay. shop and wants to buy a pair of pants I mean that is us we're he basically just got I'm not advocating for Mr. I swear okay. to God I know yeah. I sound yeah. like it right, right. now sure. <laughs> really, he's a horrible character you're imagining yeah what he got is God's version of prison. 
it is his chance to like reflect on what has happened and atone for whatever. <laughs> Do we think like is the his so the question is, is like doubt. yeah are people able to atone and do right or you no, just people, wanted to uh, see yes in theory no i have nothing against the idea of atonement and of forgiveness atonement. in general yeah yeah i i'm just saying like i see that he faced consequences but mm-hmm. i didn't see him prove that he learned a lesson right does that make sense like mm-hmm. i yeah like i guess he's kind to her in the in the pants shop he's like amiable yeah. with her whatever mm-hmm. but like i needed to see him actually say like this is why i was wrong about this and prove that he can yeah. be a gentle person to people who he thinks are below him because it's like not enough to like just face face the low point but then like i need to see him climbing back out of it and what he how he's going to be better as a result yeah it's like Christmas I mean, Carol and it would be like Christmas Carol ended on like Scrooge weeping over his tombstone in his future. And then we just see him at Bob Cratchit's for Christmas. Like, yeah. and well, but not that's that there's not like really... an extended sequence, but like you do, but like you see enough in Christmas Carol of like ways that he is exhibiting generosity. We are like, ah, he has learned the specific lesson of being generous yes. and yeah. he's showing that to other characters to build up to then sending the turkey to bob cratchit or whatever like it's yes. just we're, we're missing the like and the lesson that i learned is mm-hmm. it's like it's like but you know he... be nice to this witch who cursed <laughs> me is basically what he learned yeah he uh, yeah i i think you are supposed to at least i think you are supposed yeah. to read more into what he does to get Nettie back sure. as more action than i think maybe you are reading into it but you're right though to think like I don't Seeley disagree that I wish I had seen more. And also, Seely doesn't really know that until Nettie is there and she'll be like... Seely never knows that. Seely, not in this movie, is never explicitly movie, yeah. disclosed to her. And that would be fine. Maybe as soon as, if, as the as camera cuts, he's like, anyway, I did that. <laughs> I did. I it part sounds of like in the 1985, he does that amendment, but he doesn't. He stays back. And that I would also be fine with, of him yeah. privately and one of his lessons being like, I should now leave this woman alone. Yes. That would yes. also be a I good I should ending. leave his entire yeah. family alone. <laughs> But like to to Celia's knowledge, he just bought a pair of pants from her and now he's invited to Easter. Come on, girl. Can I also say this, though? So she moves into she gets the store and she's basically probably living upstairs. Like all I could think is like you are now living where you were like raped as a child. That's all I could think is like, how do you even. How, and she and she I yeah she's a better person than anybody on this podcast she, stuff like that because she has that <laughs> she has that scene in the mirror where she sees her mother and says like oh, I got yeah. our house back and so it, she really so does good. seem to have an ability to selectively remember the good parts of her childhood I mean we honestly never see her contend with the sexual abuse as a child like it's never no. really addressed Mm-mm. other than wanting her children right yeah yeah I mean the the abuse to me was like when it was enacted on Nettie. Do you know what I mean? Like there was that thing of like, did she accept all along that like, I, it, it, it's okay for it to happen to me, just not Nettie. You know, it's, I think that's or maybe the understanding yeah. that like, if it's happening to me, then she isn't, it's yeah. not happening to her. Luckily. Yeah. I'll take it for her. Yeah. I mean, it's, hor- it's, it's horrifying. horrifying. It's horrifying. It's horrible. Yeah. 
but she thinks I'm here and and it it ends I mean it really does it's one of the most beautiful endings of like a movie musical I think we've seen and it's like visually it's any apple orchard it beats it beats any um, luau party you know, with, mm, wow, <laughs> the little party's pretty great, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, not just motorcycles. I think in the, in the east, there were not many not motorcycles. Not cool riders, there was for sure. at least one motorcycle. I'm remembering a shot of like somebody arriving on a motor, maybe it's the postman or something. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It gave me like a circle of life feel. It gave me like a like a cinematic ending. Mm. also beautiful like um i feel like we haven't talked about the title of it but like it's comes from suge talking about the beauty of things around them and her like pantheistic beliefs about god being and everything like appreciating the color purple and the flowers Mm -hmm. and then in the song that everybody slash seely sings she talks about like beauty and god and in the trees and in the sky so there's this very Mm -hmm. like religious but like kind of almost um pagan like appreciation of the nature around them and how it represents God yeah. um, that is is very beautiful. Yeah. And that's the color purple. And that's the color purple. That's the color purple. think us feel old at all I think this is the youngest us ever felt men Amen. Uh, <laughs> amen. Amen. This movie has like 87. Talk about we didn't really go into Christianity. Did we? We didn't. We didn't really I talk about it. It's a pantheistic uh musical. It yeah. believes that God is in in everything. And um, you know, it's a pro-interventionist God, I guess, because uh she expresses doubts about God because of keeping his her children away from her but then her children come back at the end so she says look at what god has done yeah i guess there is technically a deus ex machina in that that is what helps Nettie get to america but but then it's also like uh, her story like her story kind of really ends when she like loves herself but then the yeah that's her arc yeah and the plagues come from god as well so god is very involved in making things happen in the story but also, like she, she struggles with like understand an understanding of like a God who allows allows all of that, like her children to be. T- it starts beginning the middle of the film where a God who allows her children to be taken away. Like it, yeah. I think it's very interesting that I think there's. I mean, I think there's a bunch of people who are struggle with whatever whatever their belief is about God, and then finally come to a decision in terms of like yes or no. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily new or unique, but it's. I mean, it's. It's a, I don't know. It's beautifully told. It's it's that yeah. scene in the dinner table when Sophia says, "I didn't believe in God," but then Celie, you know, Celie came every week, and she says that I believe in God because I I see God in, in you. you. 
and then mm-hmm. and then she and then she cursed Mister. So Celia is Celia's God. God. Yeah. God. There you go. God is a woman. <laughs> God is a woman. <laughs> Okay, so on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie holds an 87% certified fresh. Not high uh, enough, honestly. Richard Lawson from Vanity Fair, right? Uh, it's 95% from um, audience okay. reviews, just so you know. Richard okay. Lawson, Vanity Fair. This color purple is more about how the songs reflect a well-known story rather than the story itself, which can make the film seem thin. We spend much of our time admiring the thorough performances, Domingo's purring vin- villainy, Henson's sexy glide complemented by kindness, but otherwise waiting somewhat impatiently for the next song to begin. 13 numbers from the stage show were cut for the film, but there are still plenty to enjoy. In that way, Bazawul's film plays like a series of linked musical moments in the vein of a visual album, complete with sun-dappled imagery and kinetic camera work. Those who really want to live in every granular detail of Celie's journey toward actualization may find this version lacking. Perhaps it was the film's deliberate calculation that everyone is already so familiar with the color purple that this version could function most efficiently as a song delivery system. That premise is borne out to some degree, but one still yearns from Basel to slow down and let the viewer take in the texture and heartbeat of the piece. While grandly moving at the close, too much of this color purple relies on memories of color purple's past. That's the last sentence. Sorry. I disagree. As a person who didn't see any other ones, I didn't feel like there was missing information or like Uh. I wasn't following the plot so i just i totally I agree i think there's a lot of character work happening in those songs if you would pay attention reviewer also can i quickly we didn't say this when we were talking about mr speaking of coleman domingo is domingo. his name right yes um he does such he's such a great villain he does such a great job such a totally. such a despicable character and he's doing an amazing job i was bothered the whole time i was watching being like why do i know this man and i remembered he was in mount rainy's black bottom but i couldn't remember mm-hmm. what i had originally seen him in he's in euphoria he plays oh, is he? a former drug addict who's like a mentor or what's it called and like a uh, sponsor he's like sponsor. the sponsor, sponsor of rue which is zendaya's character um and he's amazing in that he also apparently was on the big gay sketch show which I watched, yes, but I don't queer. remember him being on. But he was on like the second and third seasons. Maybe it's because I mostly remember the first season. Um, but shout out to any listeners who were big because of Big A Sketch Show that this guy was in it too. Back in the day. I saw him Back in the day in, with Kate McKinnon. Yes, I saw him in the movie um, Zola at Zola mm. where he played kind of like the, he was like a, he was a pimp. And I mm. remember him being so compelling and scary in that. Yeah. I was like, oh, he, he really knows how that. He's got this. a bit of like a could go off the rails at any moment energy that really yeah. works well as like a former drug addict, a villain, like a lot of yes. lends itself to a lot of characters. Yeah. Yes, but also is able to. I think, I think this movie was really good at when Suge shows up. You can see why she would be like be enticed yeah. by him because yes. he's yeah. such a different person when she's yeah. around. Yes. Which is that's yeah. the horrifying line of when she's like, "I'm scared yeah. of when you're gonna leave." Yeah. Uh, okay. And Suga is so surprised. Suga has no inkling of this no. side of him. It's so interesting. Yeah. Remember when she almost killed him? It's very bold to like hit your wife and then have her take a straight blade to your neck to shave you. I was like, it's very, yeah. it's very Voxac. What? What? The opera Voxac. Oh. It's about a guy who's like in the army and I think he's like sleep deprived or something. They like are torturing him basically. And he needs the money, so he lets them keep him awake for like hours and hours on end. And then this guy who's been like tormenting him has him shave him, and it's like an <sighs> iconic scene of like, oh my god, is he going to snap? But it shows how completely programmed he is that he doesn't <sighs> slit the guy's throat. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard of Oksek. I mean, okay, that, well, you definitely get that feeling. That entire scene—it's so, it's it's so tense. So tense. Ooh. 
And she's gonna, I mean, he grabs her wrist. I think we're supposed to understand because she, she's about to. Yeah. 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 Uh, Murtada Alfadel from the AV Club had this to say Murtada Alfadel is black, by the way. I did try to seek out a couple black reviewers. Um, nice. Additionally, many of the characters' more dramatic moments are not songs. Though Barino does her best, those moments resemble ones from the 1985 film, and she's unable to match Goldberg's memorable showing. In fact, the opposite happens as Barino recalls Goldberg's more accomplished performance and Spielberg's better film. It might be unfair to compare, but that's what happens when a beloved classic is remade. Barino fares better in her scenes with Henson. They have crackling chemistry, and Henson adds warmth and verve to those scenes. Domingo, who plays Seely's abusive husband, brings out charm to his despicable character, showing why Shug would fall for him. As expected from the time the casting was announced, Brooks is the standout. Anyone who has seen her performance on Broadway or just heard about it comes in with big expectations, and she delivers on every last one. This is, this is a display of sheer force and magnetism, and Brooks shines brightly from her big introduction to the last scene of the film. She carries all aspects of a star-making moment, the drama and comedy of it of it as well as the show-stopping musical numbers boswell can only focus on her when she's in the frame brooks uh, walks away with the movie and if there's any justice or real meritocracy in the world this performance should assure her a long career of screen stardom i i, I understand yeah. i understand the review the the review the critical reviews of like we have to talk about the original movie and compare it yeah. even though they are doing different they're two different things yeah but it is like there is a sense of watching this like i'm sure a lot of people felt that of like i i already know the story of the color purple or at least i know enough of it like it's culturally relevant that i know enough of color purple that i felt like for us even though we none of us had like read it or watched the original mm -hmm. 85 movie we knew enough of it and like knew enough of like i think the just how music movie musicals work. I wonder if people were thrown off that it's like, could I believe this story to be told in a movie musical format? Yeah, I do think I'm now feeling like maybe we should have checked in about the fact that none of us had seen the original and one of us should have watched it. Yeah. Like maybe we're missing a perspective on here because none of us had the comparing it to the other version experience yeah. that a lot of other people are going to have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to read this review to you. Okay. This is from Aisha Harris of NPR, who I discussed earlier. She had the segment on Pop Culture Happy Hour. <laughs> she did the review for the film as well. And I'm going to read a bit of a lengthy segment, but I think she goes into a lot more detail that I think is very helpful. And uh, Aisha Harris is a black woman. So I think her perspective is important. Um, okay. While both previous iterations employed levity in their own ways and Spielberg and screenwriter Menno Meyes, both being white, were taken to task for it, accused of making the black men characters to be buffoons, Boswell's take is decidedly glossier and more cheerful. When this works, it works. His aesthetic eye is vivid and colorful, opening up Seeley's world with ener energetic ensemble musical numbers which give a sense of bustling black community that exists beyond her suffocating life with Mr. and his rambunctious kids. There are highlighted interactions played up for laughs, like the constant bickering flirtation between Sophia and Harpo, and exultations of pleasure as conveyed at Henson's dynamic performance as the bold and freewheeling club singer Suge Avery. Seely and Suge get their own romantic duet set against the backdrop of a 1930s Hollywood musical. Yet there are some curious tonal decisions that seem to be born, at least in part, out of its mode as a musical theater adaptation, as well as out of an attempt to address some of the loudest critiques of the 1985 film. The instances mm -hmm. of domestic abuse in which a character is hit are, are staged broadly, or rather as if the actors are on an actual live performance stage playing to the rafters. Big windups and dramatic slaps that for this viewer conjured the over-the-top manga-inspired violence of the boondocks. The presumably unintentional effect is to literally knock the wind out of the abuse to defang it so it doesn't feel quite so real. 
Then there's the famous scene where young Celie and Nettie are forcibly separated, which is remarkably subdued and truncated given the circumstances. In this case, it takes place during a rainstorm with Mr. wielding a shotgun as he demands Nettie leave his farm. But its emotional impact is dull. The exchange hurries by so quickly and almost perfunctorily as to erase any dramatic tension that should come out of this life-altering severing of a sisterly bond. Before there's any time for young Celie to process what it means, it's on to the next scene. Contrast with this with the same scene in Spielberg's film, guttural cries of anguish punctuate a prolonged sequence of cruelty as the imposing figure of Danny Glover's mister physically hauls Nettie off his farm with Celie dragging behind him while grasping onto her sister's hands for dear life. The effect is excruciating yet profound. Celie and Nettie's pain is wholly felt and lived in, which in turn makes the reunion all those years later that much stronger. Admittedly, it feels odd and even a little wrong to criticize a film for minimizing the trauma against Black women that's shown on screen. But exploitation and exploration are not the same, and with little exception, Bazawul and his screenwriter Marcus Gardley seem reluctant to sit too long in the discomforting facets of this story, choosing instead to over-index on joy. As Taraj B. Henson put, bluntly put it recently, quote, The first movie missed culturally. We don't wallow in the muck. We laugh, we sing, we go to church, we dance, we celebrate, we fight for joy. End quote. Spielberg, for what it's worth, is among this film's executive producers. Considering the long, sordid history of Black pain on screen, this resistance is unsurprising. Henson is reverberating one of the many grievances some Black audience members had with the 1985 movie. A recurring thread in the controversy was the stark gender divide in reactions to the film's depiction of gendered violence, intergenerational trauma, and queer romance. Many Black women felt seen on the page and screen for the first time. Many straight Black men felt attacked and demonized for the hundredth time. Yet the art and its themes revisited in 2023 shouldn't be too afraid to embrace that tension. After all, Walker's original text exists precisely to shine a line upon light, a light upon the muck, as well as the triumph over it. The issue goes deeper than the depiction of muck anyway, spilling over into the film's overall pacing and transitioning between action and music. Another axiom, this one understood by musical theater enthusiasts, suggests dialogue becomes song when words aren't enough and song gives way to dance when lyrics don't cut it. A couple of songs spring prematurely before the scenes have any time to build any emotional resonance. For one, She Be Mine, a ballad sung by young Celia about the loss of her babies. Still others end abruptly just as the song begins to ramp up, like Harpo's propulsive building a house number working. Uh, even still, there's enough here to recommend it to anyone who's loved some previous version of the original story. This color purple reincarnation differs from many other remakes and reboots that have washed upon the public's shores. It's Existence isn't merely a bid for nostalgia, though that's, of course, a piece of it, uh, but an extension of an artifact that's deeply embedded and integral within Black America's cultural canon. It carries the weight of four decades worth of fierce debates, divergent interpretations, and scholarly analysis. Perhaps most notable of all, there's a deep and preserving connection to countless Black women and queer people who've seen themselves in this work about overcoming traumas. So I thought it was important to read a lot of that because yeah. like perspective, and I think Aisha, I have listened to her a lot, so I, I regard her very highly. And she is a musical theater kid. Um, so I, I really liked her being able to be explain her yeah. take on some of the performances. And while I don't necessarily agree with her assessment necessarily, I do think it's it's nice to know that she like actually does get musical theater. She understands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think the cultural reception is often something we struggle with especially with older films of yeah, asking, totally. we have these questions of like how did people receive this at the time that are hard to answer and so it's yeah. so valuable to like have a film that's now but also have these cultural commentators who like can write out in depth like here's how the first one was received here's how this one's being received like that sort of analysis i think is super valuable mm -hmm. um i think that the question of like the 
explicitness of the domestic violence. I see what mm-hmm. she's saying about like the slaps are like so big that they're a little bit yeah. larger than life and, and mm-hmm. takes out some of the reality of it. And I think it might, it might be because it's a musical. Like yeah. if this gets too dark, I do think musicals can handle dark subjects, Yeah, but there might be a level of darkness where then you're like, you can't sing now. That's yeah, too yeah, like yeah. we can't get can't into a song after this. Yeah. So there might have been a feeling that you can't get too. I mean, it's explicit. It's not like it's not like it's just implied that he's hitting her. He hits mm-hmm. her many times on screen. Yeah. And I think always it's there's always this question about violence on screen and how explicit do you get with it? And at what point are you just re-triggering, re-traumatizing, or even like normalizing yeah. or glorifying? some mm-hmm. sort of violence and i think it's just really hard that i, I don't think you're ever gonna get it perfectly right of like the react that how real do you get with violence i think is a really hard question yeah, yeah. at least they went with a, a direction that at least was cohesive with the rest of the film you yeah. know like they 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 made them kind of big because they knew that like we we have to everything else is so big so i i i feel like i I like that a little bit more because I, at least I know that like, okay, th- there was a clear direction throughout as opposed to like, they were trying different things because they want to like check all the, as much boxes as they could, which she does bring up that like, there are attempts to obviously like um, kind of humanize the men a little bit more. I think like while you were reading that, like I thought of Harpo definitely of like, oh yeah, they, they're, I, I could see them kind of use this character as a way to, <laughs> to, to do that. So I think to the conversation about like how much joy is in the movie, I think it's also very human to try and force ourselves to find joy wherever we can, wherever we can, especially in dire situations. And even, I mean, in she be mine, like we say it, like she's saying these words, even though she doesn't live in, in the place that she's, she's speaking of. So, I mean, and I, my impression of the original movie, again, some, some, someone should have watched it for this, but I know someone will comment comment and be like, you are totally wrong with the tone of this. But like, my impression is that the, the ending is joyful in the original. I think, I think that that's always there in every iteration is that the joy comes in the reunion. So I'm guessing that her totally, I think that probably finding joy out of the muck is like always the story. And it's like, how deep in the muck do you get before you get to the joy? It's like probably Mm -hmm. the the question that's being asked. Yeah. And because it's in a musical format, like you have to suspend your disbelief in some way to be like any, any circumstance of joy to, to, to get us out of the muck has to exist just because we have to make it work. Yeah. And I think it's also important that the joy that we find in this movie comes from the people, the people around Celie's life. Yes. It's not Celie doesn't find joy in it's not like she ends up making a career out of making clothes. At no point in this movie are you like, oh, she loves, she just goes to sew and that's when she like gets to be in her own little corner on a little chair and she mm-hmm. finds joy in that. It's not she doesn't find joy in the labor she has to do. She finds joy in the other people in her life who bring her something to be joyful about. Like Yeah. That scene when she goes to visit Sophia and Sophia's like, we're going to go sit and chat, make the tea. Like that's, there's yes. so much. It's the first time she that. got to like, oh, I don't have to make the tea for myself yeah. or for people. Yeah. And I think if you make it too dark, I agree with what you're saying. I don't, I don't know how you jump back into like music like this. Yeah. And I think there's like a, a, a an American, a black American. That is the, that is the origin of gospel music is finding mm-hmm. joy when you are living a life that is, joyless is how do you find joy in times like that i think that is that is the the light that the black community has always and will always have it's like they're able to 
yeah. find that in the resilience yes. and the joy and the black yeah. communities. Amazing. Yeah. Unparalleled. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I read all that. And that was so long. I'm so sorry. Okay. Letterboxd, <laughs> the people, what are the people saying? Um, well, Ira, fellow, fellow Loyola alum, Ira <sighs> Madison, the third, uh, gave this movie three and a half stars and said, Danielle Brooks is the mother I never had. She is the sister everybody would want. She is the friend that everybody deserves. I don't know a better best supporting actress <laughs> yeah. contender. And that's true. That's true. And we should say it. Um, Partna gave it five stars and said, I had the pleasure of sitting next to a white woman who went awe at the sad parts. <laughs> innate need of like, I have to say something. I have to react. Oh my God. Yeah. And then Rachel Leishman gave it five stars and said, when, when Fantasia saying I'm beautiful, my soul left my body. <laughs> Absolutely. I gave myself a headache because I cried so much when she's saying I'm here to the woman <sighs> who sat two seats down for me, not my mother, no. the other, the other direction who left at the beginning of I'm here. <gasps> that's when she chose come, to go to the bathroom. That's when she chose to go to the bathroom and came back once it was over. I was like, girl, <laughs> You got to hold in the piss, babe. Your life is is over. (laughs) I hope afterwards they were like, oh my God, that song Fantasia sang. They're like, which one? (laughs) She's like, which which song? Oh my God. She sang in the sister. And to my mom, I do have to say this, to my mom who on the drive back home, we get home and I'm like, yeah, and Fantasia was so good. And she goes, that was Fantasia. (laughs) Truly iconic. Lived in, a lived in role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she disappeared. Absolutely. Uh, okay, RJ, you gave us our summary, so I'll let you go first. Yay! Then I, we're just gonna go down the line. I'm picking Daniel Brooks. It is. I mean, even though it's, I, I, I can't, I can't explain it. She truly uh, was, as Molly said, was brought into this earth to play. Daniel Brooks did the thing <laughs> to play this role in like this specific adaptation this movie musical mm-hmm. adaptation she took literally t- took us through a roller coaster i mean the scene of her knowing that she was going to to like have to pay for what she just did and so she just constantly is shouting take care of my children take care of my children oh, oh. i mean like truly that should be enough to to give this woman an oscar but yeah. it's not because there's multiple scenes after that that also prove it. So, yeah, that whole scene. I know we already talked about that scene, but the scene, the fact that she first says no, thank you. And then it, it's not she doesn't start out with hell. No, she yeah. she is no. pushed to that point. Yeah. And then he hits her and she retaliates. I mean, like <sighs> she is not in the ru- I mean, like she, yeah. it's bad, but I at no point are you like you instigated this situation. It's oh, so- in no way. It's it's and then to find out late like it's afterward when you find out it's been six years. Oh my god. Horrifying. It's horrible. Molly. I mean, I want to pick Danielle Brooks, but RJ already did. <laughs> so I will pick Taraji Pianson. Uh mm-hmm. didn't know she had this vocal performance in her. I did know that she had this level of magnetism, but just she lights up the screen and my whole life and my soul whenever she's on screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was absolutely wonderful in the role and she deserves lots of awards and accolades and attention for being the most, absolutely the most fun part of the musical. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have been but a also full, a real character. 
Would you have been a full Shug stan? Would you have been like a barb for Shug? Like I would have been a barb for Shug. Yeah. (laughs) You would have been a full groupie. You would have been like defending Shug to at the juke. At the juke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the juke every night. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And she would notice and she'd see you. And you see you, Mama. And, you and we'd have our Fred and Ginger moment in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> She'd write you a record too. Oh. Yeah. Um, I want to pick Fantasia Brino because I think she does a great job in this role, but I will actually end up picking, um, I'm so sorry, Blitz Boswell, the director of this film, because I think mm-hmm. all aspects come together so harmoniously. It is so realized what the vision is. The fan, the fantasy scenes, you just that they're so trusting of the audience. It's so good. The cinematography is beautiful. I just like a lot. Uh, so much of this movie comes together in just the right way to make it so good that I, I'm very, uh, I'm very impressed with this with this director. Yeah, and I don't know. I should have looked up if he's done or if they've done. Um, if he's done, he did the burial of Co. So this isn't his first narrative piece. Um, I guess, but uh, yeah, he's great. It's good. But I, I think it is really interesting that he has such a music video background, and I do think that this suggests that we should look more to people with a music video yeah. experience and background because being able to capture music on film is really an essential skill of musical theater. Yeah, yeah. and this is his third film. His first film is called The Barry of Kojo, and he he's gone gone Ghanaian 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 Ghanaian. I think it's Ghanaian. He's from Ghana. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's uh it's a film from Ghana. So mm. um this is like his first kind of narrative um American film, which is great. It's great. And for someone who did not grow up in America, I felt like Understood. was really able to capture mm. the beauty of the American landscape in a very specific yeah. way. I thought it was very well done. Yeah. Okay. Molly. Molly, closer. I couldn't think of one. I try. I really try, but it just felt everything felt is, like what, disrespectful. Here's, the, here's Molly's closer this week. What scene do you write to add to this film that allows you to feel like Mr. Atoned? Um. Okay. I think he needs to be kind to a child. He needs to exhibit empathy for someone who he views as not having power and that cannot do anything for him. He needs to see an, an unknown child on the street who needs pants, an apple and he buys the child, the apple. I don't know. This is a terrible off the cuff, but I think, I think rather than having him paired up with another woman, cause I don't, I don't like that. We have to it, worry cycle, about her in yeah, any way. Yeah. I think we should see him. So now we should worry about a child. (laughs) Be generous to a child who is not going to have a long-term relationship Relationship with with him. Just, he just is just being nice to someone who can't do anything for him. Hmm. That's what I mean. I think I would have been okay with a scene where Sophia is like, when she says like, there's gonna be some changes around here. Let's see what those changes were. Yeah. Let's see him maybe struggle a little bit with those changes, but like kind of learn from Listen to Sophia. Yeah. 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 He he like she disses him, but he doesn't like do something she told him to do. Yeah. 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 That I think like 
kind of like a deeper conversation maybe with him and Harpo. Cause it does feel like that's the only person that he at least like will listen to. And I almost <laughs> wish that maybe Sorry. in that scene of him kicking him out of the juke, I know that he's like wasted, but I almost wish that Harpo kind of like, is like, we don't want you here anymore. Like you're done. Or yeah. cause we talked about how we kind of don't get too much of like, what is Harpo and Sophia's relationship after the dinner scene? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a scene where Harpo tells his dad about how he now relates to his wife and how it's so much better than what it was before. And yeah. it's like the younger generation teaching the older generation about actually having an equal relationship. An equal relationship. For, yeah. Yeah. I also like in that dinner scene too, we didn't really say this earlier, but I like that Mr.'s dad does not go without getting something lobbed, like an insult lobbed yeah, his way totally. too. Because it, yeah. it is generation. And I'm not saying absolutely you can't unlearn things or that it's not your responsibility to unlearn things, but um it didn't it didn't start with, with Mr. Mr. Yeah. Right. It started with Mr. Mr. Adam, do you have a modification to make? I already said mine. Mm -hmm. I, oh, is that I went second. Oh, I thought I went second. What was yours? Molly. This is what I do. <laughs> I said a scene where Sophia, after she says, "There's gonna be some changes." Right oh, there. I thought you, you were see just, the changes. Thought you were see just, the changes. I thought you were just like, "Yes, Andy." I didn't know that was your official answer. Mine oh. was be kind to a child. How is this, the changes Sophia made? A yes, and to that. Wow. Wow. We did it. We did it. Um. Congrats to everybody involved with this movie. Absolutely. I hope she sweeps some awards. I hope she gets something. I do. I feel some. like they're going to put a lot of their eggs on the Daniel Brooks basket, but I do hope Fantasia gets the accolades that she deserves because she yeah. really does do a great job of Absolutely. living in this. Also, this best song. original song is going to be stacked this year because we mm. also have um, fucking Barbie as well mm. that had a, has a couple songs that will probably get nominated. So Wonka. Wonka. Wonka sure. Everybody's favorite Wonka. Yeah. Well, I'm beautiful. Yes, I'm beautiful. And I'm Thank you for listening to the best revival of a podcast, Showgaze. You can find us on social media. Adam is at Adam Noecker on Twitter. RJ is at RJ Food Rocks on Instagram. And Molly is at Molly Matiny on Instagram. This episode was edited and mixed by Adam Noecker. This has been an Ampliverse production. You can find our show page and more information at theampliverse.com. If you'd like to send us your own takes on the movie we just watched, reach out to us via email and we might read it aloud on the show. Our email is showgazemoviemusical at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to help others find the show. And now, as always, the show must go on. So stick around to hear what we're going to be watching next episode. Oh, hell no! Move. Hey, PG-13, please. What was that? Oh, Lord, it's the Queen Bee. Regina George. Don't look her in the eye!
You could be really hot if you change like everything. I met a guy in the summer and I Welcome to health and human sexuality. We'll be getting into abstinence, of course, then followed by in the spring, condoms and choking. You're learning things now that I don't know how to teach. Are you okay in there? We're concerned you're either doing drugs or having a toilet baby. Ew. We as women have to be able to support each other. Get in, loser. Welcome, Katie. You're never going to believe what I found this morning. Your burn book. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, for sure, Regina, yeah. Do you like gum? Sure. Oh, no, I don't have any. I, I was just... You're a mess. We will help you, Katie. <laughs> Why are you dressed so scary? It's Halloween. Katie, if you don't dress slutty, that is slut-shaming us. That's just unprofessional. What? What's this? <laughs> We're gonna make her pay. <laughs> All we've done is make Regina hotter and revive the wet look. Dance break. Who wrote all this junk? Katie pushed her. Regina really should be lifting through her glutes. Look at this thing. I can't Sexy. even see it. Like a face breast. Dream up Hello Katie. Incorrect. You have to pick a French name. Chanel. No. Celine Dion. No. Beyonce. Discovering voices. Building worlds. The Ampliverse.